Welcome to episode 328 of Coffee Pods and Wads. As always, we are sponsored by Fitter. You can go to get.fitter.training and bring your coaching and your community engagement to a new level. They've got white labeling, which means you can change everything your own colorway. They've got branding, so the app on the um, person's phone, the client's phone or the member's phone will have your logo on it, um, which is pretty cool. And they've got these links with... um, other companies like Zephyr and stuff that mean like Gmail, MailChimp, all these other things are all included in one little package instead of having to do each thing individually, which is pretty cool. Um, you can also go to join.whoop.com forward slash CPW and you can get yourself a free Whoop strap um, like device and a free month of Whoop as well, which is pretty good. Um, and I get like 40 quid or something for every person that signs up. So like that's, you know, that's pretty substantial. It's not insubstantial. Um, like if 10 people sign up, that's 400 quid. That's like a pair of noble shoes. Um, join.whoop.com forward slash CPW for that. You can go to lskd.co and you can use CPW LSKD for savings there. They've got new underpants. So if you're in the market for a pair of underpants, male or female, or if you're a male looking for a female pair, um, you can go to lskd.co and they've got, they've been like preparing these for like three or four years like trying to get them right so they're launching in two days i think um go what go to the app store download it do your mobility test and then hone in on the areas that you need to perfect um or you know just ignore what it tells you to do and then wonder why you're stiff in the morning and stuff um Built for athletes, you can use CPW15 for savings on there. They've got new rucksacks. They've got their, like, smaller backpacks, bigger backpacks. They've got all the Red Bull racing gear, like the wheelie suitcases, carry-on suitcases, stuff like that. They've got wash bags. They've got an absolute ton of stuff. And they're going to be at High Rocks in Dublin this weekend. So if you're there, go over and have a little look. Um, Today's guest is Matt Souza. He is Savan Matosian's right-hand man at Savan Podcast. Um, He's largely the reason he's back doing the podcast um as he explains during the show um he's an incredible guy like just an incredible guy full stop and he's also an incredible like entrepreneur like he's got a great business mind he's a fantastic coach from what i've heard um he owns a brilliant affiliate he's really really passionate about crossfit um the methodology the community improving it everything um he's a great chat oh and he's a graffiti artist so, yeah, there's there's that as well, too, I guess. Rambler's on one already. My God. Um, I was just sticking up stickers when I was in, when I was at Crash. Oh, yeah? Um, Wad Zombie sent a little parcel to me um, with loads of stickers. And... Right, I'm stick. I'll stick this last one on. Then. It feels so weird not having the controls on my end. I know, yeah. I was actually thinking to <laughs> let you log in. Um, and he sent me Christine. Oh, nice. And James and Alex and Ben and Ariel. Dude. And Rolf. Holy shit. Raptus, Pepper, Brandon, and Hopper. So I have the whole set, apart from the elusive Colton, that like there was like one one made of. I actually think that's the only one I have. Oh. It's Colton. I don't know where it's at, though. I got a Colton, Colton sticker. And he sent me a Brian Friend sticker as well. I designed that. 
sticker, that Brian Friend sticker. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I made an Instagram post about Brian ages ago. And you, what's you, on, was like, you got you got you got royalties. Well, judging by the fact that he sent me like one Colton sticker, like one mint sticker and 15 of these, I'm assuming that he's got <laughs> surplus. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying, hey, these didn't do so hot. Yeah. You could have the inventory. Yeah, yeah. I said I'm sending you a box. Um oh man, I'm never gonna be able to keep up with these comments. My mouse has gone a bit weird. Tyler, why the fuck are we watching this? Why the fuck do we listen to you talk about Peace Corps for like three weeks? <laughs> you know why you're watching this. You hope I pop the top at some point. Take over the controls, yeah. <clears throat> are you sponsored by Wid Zombie? No, I'm not. Bruce, I'm not sponsored by Wid Zombie. Um, he's just a good guy. Oh, he corrected himself afterwards. He's just a good dude. He sent me that. I actually mocked him in the episode with Alexis because he was like, oh, what's your address? And he like he asked me for my address, and then like f- four weeks went past, and I was like, "Man, the mail is slow from America." <laughs> so I mocked him on the Alexis one, and he was like, "Oh shit, sorry, <laughs> sending it now." So that's he a, sent it that's to... the story of my life too. Don't worry about it. I still Caleb's probably yeah. if he watches this, he's gonna be like, "Susan just needs to send me like five things that he's promised and are still sitting right here in a box." Yeah, it's hard, man. It's hard. Um. Can Matt do the spit snatch as good as Savan? I was actually watching videos of your training there. Of me? Yeah. What the fuck oh, shit. Did you do like a research where you looked through my Instagram? My, hmm, do I trust my mouse to keep going? It's gone. It's doing that, you know, like that real jerky thing. Stutter? Yeah. And I think like these batteries have been in this mouse for like a long time. <laughs> um. <laughs> Your reels, so your reels get unbelievable engagement. Um, Surprising, this is, right? you, this is why you need to take over because I'm slow. Um, so, like, not um, not to de- de- to to de- diminish your five thousand followers, but like, look at like twenty three, <laughs> eighteen, fifteen, sixty eight, six, nineteen, forty four, eleven. Okay, that was a shit one. Three, 115, <laughs> 11, 24, 26. Like, insane levels of reach. Yeah. Well, some of them, it's not fair because they're collabed with the seven. Yeah, but even so, though, so. it's still um, still impressive. Um, yeah, Thank I was you. down here. Where are we? Yeah, I was down here. Mm. I was watching your... Um... Yep. In some sweats and vans, too. <laughs> Did you ever, when you were doing CrossFit, were you ever like big into competitions and shit? Huge. That was the whole reason why I first started. Like I was like that guy that definitely was like, I'm making regionals. Yeah. (laughs) Trained quite a bit. Did you ever get close? No. Never got close. The um, strength was always an issue. Yeah. 220 snatched. First time I snatched 100 kilos. Oh, the pull boxes. (laughs) That was in 2014, 2015. It was 461 weeks ago. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah. So how is this your gym? Is this Livermore? That's uh, CFL 1.0. Yep. That was the wow. first location that I was in over here by the Livermore airport. And um, funny thing about that location. So this area that you see like there, and I don't know if there's any other shots of like what the whole thing looked like, but um. Can I just say that, before you before you continue, your shorts yeah. here look like you're wearing a shirt. 
Like it looks like there's a shirt, you know, hanging down and open at the bottom. Sorry, go on. <laughs> those are my favorite. Those are my favorite shorts. Um, yeah. So okay. So you see the cubicle wall right there? Yeah. That splits it. So I actually only rented out a section of just a warehouse inside of a building, and the building was huge. It was two stories. It was like a normal like you know mm. business industrial building that you would see, and uh, we just had just this chunk of it in the. Um, uh, back in the warehouse and then eventually we took over the whole warehouse um and that was the first location that i was at is this the same as this are they the same location or is that 2.0 nope. that's 2.0 yep so that's okay. across town on the other side of town and the this is the current location that i'm in now this wasn't as oh, long nice. oh yeah see so you see the tape boxes and shit on the ground oh yeah yeah that was that was when we opened the gym against the um whatever it was the lockdowns the and stuff yeah and i had a member who worked for osha which is like the safety construction company like so they're responsible for you know making sure everything is safe and i had him come in and help me set up the protocols for the gym because i knew the city was eventually gonna like come down and try to shut me down and send people over so i was trying to get it set so it would be as safe under their guidelines as possible, which would help minimize um, me being shut down or being harassed, and it worked. Yeah, well, I mean, the the way that the tape, I guess the, the fact that the tape repelled the <laughs> repelled the virus, like um, kind of like two magnets, like that's right, no, that's two exactly. north poles of a magnet, it's just kind of mm -hmm. like, yeah, the virus is just like, oh, I'm just gonna go over and infect this. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, it was the same it? as um the same as rest. I don't know if it's the same there, but restaurants here where it was like you wear a mask, you sit you sit in your seat, and then once you're in your seat, you can take off your mask, and it's like <laughs> oh, because it knows, right. it knows That's you're sitting right. down now, so it'll just be like ah, I just gotta sit tight. They're already in their booth. It's fine. Just 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 hang there. They won't the the virus won't catch you. Yeah, and so that's what we did. We had like ten or eleven taped out boxes, um, so that way everybody was protected and uh oh, okay. and, it, and it worked the city showed up and they saw what we did and they're like at least you're trying to make some sort of effort and kind of just left us alone yeah um so you first got into crossfit to do uh competitions and stuff um how did you find out about it are you like an original dot commer yes and no so i lived at this house of degenerates um back in uh 2009 2010 and what I mean by that, it was just like four dudes in a party house. Like we just raged every single weekend. You're not and, doing anything um, for people who think you're Steve-O with that introduction to. Oh, they, they should have shown up there. <laughs> it would have been spot on. Probably would have jumped in a bush or something like that too, if I got enough chance. But uh, so I, so we moved into that house and one of my roommates at the time, his buddy was in the air force and he would show up and like would party with us on Fridays. And then he'd wake everybody else in the house up on Saturday morning. And he would be like, if you're going to party hard, we gotta, we gotta work hard. And so he would get all of us up and we would do these workouts. And, um, he was the one that introduced me to CrossFit. I didn't know it was CrossFit at the time. And he would write up, you know, Hey, we're doing Cindy or we're going to do this. And, and, um, so he led the charge on us, like doing that style of workout for a while and then he got deployed and uh selfishly i'll never <laughs> i went up to him I'm like kenny i'm like dude you're getting deployed and he's like yeah man i'll be okay i was like no who's who's gonna write our workouts <laughs> you know because the whole house was doing it at the time and he's like first off you're an asshole and he's like and secondly it's called crossfit.com just go to it and figure it out and uh i was like yeah but they're named after these girls and he's like yeah just type in the girls crossfit and it'll pop up 
And um, so that was my first introduction to CrossFit.com after doing it for probably about three or four months with him. And it was basic. I mean, we didn't have equipment. We didn't have bumper plates. We didn't have barbells. Um, we had a big spool that was used to hold a bunch of wire tilted on its side. So you could either do a 34 inch box jump or you didn't do box jumps. Um, you know, we had the doorway pull up bar. We had a tire that we probably took from some random field that we would flip. We had a sledgehammer because we thought that that was CrossFit movements and a couple set of dumbbells. And so we did that every weekend. And once he showed me what CrossFit.com was, um, then I was like, oh shit. It opened up like a whole world. I, I saw the CrossFit journal from there, the dot-com every single day, like all that. And what year was this? 2010. Okay. 2009. So like early doors of like yeah, it, its uh, existence, I suppose, or its common existence, I guess. Yeah, so I did CrossFit and actually then went to my first affiliate before I knew that there was a competition. Like I was so into all the exercise science stuff with the journal and at that time when you would go to crossfit.com and see the workout of the day they would also have like the workout like wad demo so you would see the workout being done in every gyms and and that was right about the time that facebook started to become really popular and like social media was a thing and i was super anti-social media like i was like oh that's fucking lame so like my my social media everything that i checked at 5 p.m religiously was crossfit.com because that's when they would post the workout for the next day um, and what, like, what did you like about it? Because it's kind of, um, I guess it's counterintuitive. Like it's it sounded like your arm was twisted at the start. And then there's obviously something about it that you liked that kind of kept make well, made you keep going back enough to keep doing it when the guy who told you to do it was gone. Yeah. So, I mean, if we take one step further back, I got really into working out and stuff like that. Cause I was super into jujitsu and MMA in high school. Okay. So like through that time, that's when like UFC first started, you know, becoming a little bit bigger. This was prior to them having like a lot of rules and stuff. I don't know if you ever watched some of the first UFC shows, but it's brutal. <laughs> Bare knuckled out there. You could do everything but eye gouge and kick in the nuts. Like okay. everything else was free game. Um, so I really wanted, I was really into jujitsu and I wanted to find workout routines that would make me better at jujitsu. And I knew that what I was doing at like the 24 hour fitness and these kind of like big, you know, corporate style gyms, like was not, wasn't going to work because I could sit there and do curls and like presses. And then I would go to jujitsu class and I would just get absolutely hammered. And like, I knew my fitness was not up to par with, um, with what needed to be done on the mat. So I started searching for all sorts of other different workout programs. And, um, and also at the time I was, uh, really into street art let's call it okay and so that was training to be able to um run get away, away. <laughs> literally okay what is it, what age are you then what age is 2000 and like 9 2010 what age are you then oh shit so that was like early 20s it would have been so like the you MMA, like a, were you like a delinquent a little bit okay <laughs> so like i i make the joke that i graduated high school on a plea bargain Okay. Like they just were to get you out. Just to get me out of there. Yeah. <laughs> and so um uh yeah, so that was like I got big into like the MMA scene and like that type of stuff, like 17, 18, 19 years old. Right around that same time, 18, 19, I started to get I was really into art. I actually went to Academy of Art University to be a freelance illustration major in San Francisco, um, out of high school to that. And um 
And so, yeah, so then that through that time, I was into the MMA, I was into the jujitsu, I was into the street art, the graffiti scene, pretty big. And uh, that's what actually inspired my training was just being able to be like fit and adequate for those. Okay, so get up high on a wall, spray something, and then jump down and run away without getting caught. Did you have yeah. uh, did you have like a nickname when you were doing graffiti? I do, I did, yeah. Go on. <laughs> I guess uh, the years uh, have passed enough now to where. Yeah, what you call that? Where there's a, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah, yeah. So I the original name that I started painting under was called was Taps T A P S, and okay. that's what. Um, you know, don't ask me why. I just like that combination of letters, basically. And uh, and once I started, so this same strategy that I used to get around people in the Bay Area that were like the graffiti people in the Bay Area is actually the same strategy that I used when I was really into skateboarding when I was younger to get around like the skateboarding group, which is the same strategy I used inside of CrossFit. And basically, that's like finding the people who are doing it and doing it really well. And finding a way to provide value to them, absolutely for free and completely free of expectation on my end. Okay. So what what did that look like for graffiti? I can picture it in the others, but what does that look like for graffiti? Yeah, handing them handing them paint cans. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me give you a boost. Let me give you a boost off that wall. <laughs> washing their clothes. Um. So before this was popular, there was two before like. Facebook and Instagram are really popular. There was two websites that were really big in the graffiti scene. One of them was Flickr. Do you remember that website? It was like a photography uh, yeah. website. It's like, um, it's basically like Instagram, isn't it? It's just like pictures. Yeah, but they never got to like a mobile app or whatever. So Flickr yeah. and then the other one was like specifically a graffiti forum called 12 Ounce Profits. Okay. And so what I did is I would go to all of the uh, popular graffiti spots in Oakland and in San Francisco out here. And I would take pictures of everybody's graffiti and I would post them up on to 12 ounce profits. So they, uh, I cave dash a lot of sexual things. <laughs> <laughs> so once, um, some of the graffiti writers were out there that were seeing some of the pictures and some of the shots that I got, it started lines of communication with them and would be like, Hey, did you take this? This is a great shot. Like, how'd you find this spot? Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so once that communication line opened up, um, I would also paint my little sections and, you know, my little art in the spots as well, too, and take pictures of them and kind of like slip them in with everybody else who was really good. Like, you'd be like, wow, wow, eh, wow. Like, so the one that was like, who the fuck is this Taps guy? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I met uh, one of them. And actually, this story is hilarious. So there's a uh, there's an island called Treasure Island. So if you're going into to San Francisco from Oakland, there's a thing called the, the Bay Bridge. Okay, so you go to the mm -hmm. Bay Bridge, and the halfway point on the Bay Bridge is Treasure Island. It used to be an old naval base back in the day. And uh, so when the Navy moved out of there, it was basically just abandoned. There was a bunch of just abandoned buildings in there. It still had electricity to it, which was crazy because it was just kind of on the government dime. And um, I went in there. Oh, you're bringing something up a bit? Yeah. Yeah, look at this. yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, and this is just me. I don't even have a cater for Azusa. This is just. <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, so that's it right there. Treasure Island. Actually, they say that if there's like a really large earthquake, that that whole place would sink. Like rumor has it. It's like, it's, yeah, it looks like it's barely attached. Like, it's just it, like, is it natural or man-made? No, man-made literally in the middle of okay. the bay. Yeah. Yeah. The only natural piece is that rock that it kind of extends out of. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. So on that uh, nail base, there was a bunch of, of really cool hidden uh, 
uh, graffiti spots, and one of which was an abandoned swimming pool. So it was completely emptied out. It was in the gymnasium of the old naval base, and inside the swimming pool, there was just tons of graffiti inside of it. And so I went there, and I took a bunch of pictures, and I painted my picture, and I, t I posted up on 12 Ounce Profits, and one of the guys that painted in there was like, hey, are you this guy? I've seen a lot of your pictures. And I said, yeah, and he's like, hey, you should come out and paint with us. We're going to be there on Saturday at the same spot. So me and me being completely naive was like, great, I'm going to pack my stuff up and, and head over there. Right? And so uh, I convinced one of my other buddies to go there with me. He was absolutely certain like we were going to be robbed and killed. Like he was terrified the whole time. And um, I'm like, no, I've seen these guys online, you know. And so we go to that, uh, we go to that spot and this uh, dude pops up like from on the other side of the swimming pool. We're inside of it. And he's like, hey, you taps? I'm like, yeah. He's like, come on, we're in here and like scurries off and like goes through this like window that was like broken but had this board up and like climbs inside of there and i remember looking back at my buddy and he's like shaking his head like dude we're really gonna follow this tweaker looking guy into this abandoned building and my thought was like dude i've been to like six jujitsu classes like i will take on anybody you know like i'm like ufc champ in my mind at this point 18 years old like come on so uh we follow him into there and it was kind of this um surreal scene because we had to climb through a bunch of walls and um, the building was abandoned, like I said. And so to get to the first story to the second story, somebody had punched a hole out into the second story and like put a milk crate up. So you climbed up to the first story wall and then climbed through this little hole into the second story. And once I got out there and walked out, um, there was kind of like this little mezzanine that was over what, what was a big basketball court at the time or an abandoned basketball court. And I walked out and there was like five or six guys all painting graffiti all the way around it. And at that point, I was pretty much on my own. Like, none of my friends were really into it. Like, I was just kind of like this kid that did this shit. And um, it was like, ah. And the whole thing, uh, thing kind of opened up. And, um, and that's actually how I met uh, a crew called AQ Crew. And they were um, originally from Las Vegas area and had moved to San Francisco. And those were the, the biggest graffiti artists at that time and like the... Um, the like 2004 2005 2006 era like they basically were the people are any of these you no no but that's if not, you I assume, I assume that's not you no 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 so shortly after painting with them you could bring this up if you want although this is kind of i feel like i feel like it's exposed a little bit so shortly after painting with them um the uh guy that i met there uh his name was jesse um i started to get closer with them and and uh and the rest of the guys that he painted with and they were like hey you need a new name like taps doesn't really do it and traditionally you got handed your graffiti name to whoever your mentor in the space was right and so at that time um he was like hey dude you're like a go-getter like like you should figure out how to like make that into your name and um so we kind of played around with it and then the name that i ended up painting with which as i got good and, and really made a splash in the scene was goer g-o-h-e-r and if you type in goer graffiti into into uh, the Googles, the Internet of Things, that might bring up some of the stuff that I did in the past, or allegedly did in the past. In case the statute of limitations is not, I actually I actually think I have you covered on this. I'm pretty sure I have. So, if there's any police or anything watching, this is goer <laughs> over here. This dude, like, caught <laughs> caught red-handed. Um, any of these? They'll throw an H in between the O and the E. Oh, I thought I did. Sorry. Ooh. All Please. of them. All of them. Wow. Yeah. So if you click the green one with like the eyes on it, um, the ones next to it, I really got into calligraphy and fonts. So you do that one. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't want this to sound uh, mean. Yep. I just kind of assumed you'd be shit. Thank you. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. I've seen, like, you know, you see some graffiti and it's just, it's basically like this, like that little, like that. Yeah, yeah, like that. yeah. No. That's what I was expecting. Just like no. for a few letters. That is unbelievable. Thank you. Um, and if you go actually to the one, uh, the row below that, and then a little bit to the, my left. No, yeah. to your left. And that, no, that's it right there. So like, if you see it's on Flickr. Oh if yeah. If you go to Flickr, I think it has like a bunch more, um, from there in case people want to check that out. But yeah, so that was it. Oh, fucking, I hate this cookies thing. It's like, yeah, do you accept yeah, them? Yeah. And it's like, it's the most arbitrary. It's like, accept them or like, we're going to just keep, we're going to block mm. everything from your field of vision until you click accept. So just click. And if you click deny, we'll just close the tab. You know, it's like so yeah. arbitrary. Um, that's, uh, amazing. Yeah. So I like, if you look at that one where it was on the side of the freeway, uh, next to me was a guy named Cran and that was my buddy. Um, him and I were pretty much thick of thieves. We, we wrote a lot of graffiti together and that's a very unique thing to do. You have to really, really trust the person you're with when you do that, um, for a magnitude of reasons. But that was a interesting experience because we had other people that like we would paint with or different things like that, that we'd go out with that night. And, um, quickly they all really showed that they're they're not capable and one of the biggest things was like i feel like this is just gonna make me look so bad <laughs> I'm, so I'm one, here of, for it. one of the biggest things was like how you responded how you responded when the cops showed up because inevitably as a graffiti writer like at some point in time like you will get rolled on by the police right and um so it was interesting because a lot of the times people like the cops would roll up and like you might see the lights or they'd have like the spotlight and everybody's first initial reaction is just to stand up and run. And that's yeah. the worst reaction you could have because they might not know where you are at all. So like, instead of doing that, you just duck and get your bearings and get your head on a swivel and determine, okay, are they even here for me? You're in Oakland and San Francisco. Those lights may not even be there for you. Chances are they're not. Yeah. No one gives a shit about you painting something in Oakland or San Francisco. There's a lot worse stuff going on. Um, and a lot of people would just get up and run and it would, show our location, give away our location. And, and then you would kind of end up being in pursuit or a chase. And that, that was never fun. And, um, and so, yeah, that's why you had to kind of go through and, and make sure that, uh, the people that you're with were, were trustworthy. Yeah. Isn't it like my whole exposure to graffiti is just a fresh prince. So aren't you just supposed to pretend it's the deodorant? That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, yeah. Uh, I, um, and the other thing too is, is like every graffiti artist, use that term super loosely had their own kind of set of morals right so you had to kind of go with the group that matched with you because some kids were like i don't give a fuck i'm here to break and destroy shit right and they yeah, would like yeah. they, i mean there was no art to it they just destroyed stuff right and uh and so i didn't i didn't appreciate that that wasn't really what i was into i i always thought that if you're going to take something away like if you're going to paint on something it, it needs to at least give back a little bit and i understand that not everybody wants to see graffiti but as a kid when i would ride the bar train out and stuff like that and i would stare out the window and you would see it all going by and you're probably familiar with that in europe and stuff like that right mm. you see a lot of it on those trains like i was always like super inspired by that i always just would be like how did they go there how did they do that like how do they do it with all those colors how do they not get caught right and so that that like really like motivated me to to be inspired by some of that stuff and so that's why whenever i did paint i would always try to make sure that it was 
something worthwhile. Like I wasn't just going to go up there and make a mess. Like I was actually going to try, it was going to be a couple of colors. Um, and hopefully that it, you know, it inspired some kid or something like that, that saw it and, and wanted to pursue art as well. Yeah. There's a, this is a little bit different from graffiti, but it just shows how things come like full circle where this would have all been illegal. <clears throat> but there's a place in Dublin where they do like a guy does like street art and he's like, I can't remember his name. Is it like Mason or something? Yeah. Um, but he, he's like hired by businesses to do like, mm-hmm. you know, on the side of buildings and stuff. Yeah. Legal like, art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's mad. Like, you know, like you're saying people, if that was, if he did that under a bridge, people would probably give out about it. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the, the position of the art, I guess is, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're doing that and then uh, and you're doing CrossFit, um, like just kind of in your spare time, I guess at home or whatever. Um, and were you working at the time? Yeah. So going to school, I always just kind of like served part-time at a restaurant. And then, um, once I, once I dropped out of art school, I went to bartending full-time. I had just turned 21. So I was like 20 to 21, dropped out of art school and just went into like full-time bartending at the restaurant that I was serving at. Are you still creative now? Like do you still draw or paint or do anything now? Not as much as I should. And I, I, and anytime I say that to people that like knew that side of me, like early on, it's like, it's almost like this wave of disappointment that comes over them. So they'll be like, Oh, are you still drawing? Like, are you still doing that? And I'm like, no, no, not really. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it kind of sucks. But I left, me. That, left that skill behind. Yeah. Because it wasn't necessarily like, so I'm sure if you probably saw it on my Instagram, if you went down there far enough, there was three charcoal drawings. Hmm. Did you go, did you get that far? Yeah. Yeah. So there's three charcoal drawings that were on there. And then that was my medium of choice other than the uh, aerosol arts was um, realistic charcoal drawings. That was kind of my thing. And, um, and what I spent, you know, majority of my focus on when I was at art school, uh, being a freelance illustration artist, which basically means nothing. Can you imagine the fucking job for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially if it's charcoal, you're like, Hey, newspaper, I'll, <laughs> I'll do some drawings for you. And it's like, Oh, yeah. cool. What have you got? I, it actually has to be charcoal. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do the classics. Hey, we're going to um, spend a shitload of time on one drawing. Um, um, yeah, again, without wanting to um, insult, you're actually really good. Yeah, um, so the two to the left there that you see, the guy with the cigarette in his mouth, and obviously the other one is John Legend. Um, Led- John Lennon. Lennon, yeah. <laughs> uh, so those two were drawn from fo- photographs. So I had a photograph, and then I just replicated it over. That's all freehand with uh, charcoal. And Who's then the that? One, just a random person. Just a random person. Okay. Yep. They. It was. I think that was it's a project. Ringo Starr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a. Um, uh, we had a random a project that we had to do. I forget exactly what the point of the project. It's probably like analysis of form or something. And they would have a handful of photos out that you could choose from. Um, yeah. just to make it easy for what everybody was drawing. So that way you had some something comparable to, right? Um, and then the one all the way to the right that you see that's just on the recycled newspaper there, that's just a freehand live drawing. So we would either have these models that would come in or I would taking BART back and forth to art school. So I would kind of bust that out and try to get my homework done, which might be like studies of, uh, that one was like faces or profiles or something like that, I'm sure. And um, I would draw the people. Fruit. It was supposed to be fruit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I got a bunch of those at the house. I, I I should probably like you know dust those off and uh, 
and but don't uh, touch them too hard the picture will disappear it's charcoal <laughs> so it does it too hard it's gone <laughs> I um, it and it's gone for forever <laughs> it just like disappears um so then uh you're doing so bar work and uh what do you call that hospitality yeah um you're doing all that kind of stuff and then um and that's all tips right that's all like uh well, largely you earn your money doing that through tips, like more so than like actual wages. Is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. Like the whole month's worth of, uh, you know, your wages basically was like my Friday and Saturday night for one night. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. you made peanuts compared to the, uh, the tips there. And, um, and so, yeah, so I really enjoyed that job. Like fresh 21 as a bartender. Like I thought it was like the shit, you know, because like that's when you're you strike me as a type of person though, that would be unbelievable at getting tips. Like there would just no... Like you see, unless this is maybe it's learned later in life, but I don't know. You're very good at reading people, and you're very good at like speaking to um, people's interests and stuff. Um, and you know, like finding common ground and stuff. But is that like, have you always had that? Were you able to do that then? Like, was that like, were you a good tip getter because you were like, oh fuck, I can read this guy, and I'm gonna like shamazzle him a bit? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of regulars at the bar. I had even people that would like come in that used to like sit at my tables when I would serve that then would like change locations to still like sit in my section, even though I didn't necessarily had a section, but the restaurant would just be like, Hey, so-and-so we dropped him in this table because they specifically requested you. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's why that job was so easy and so lucrative because I would build relationships and connections with people and it was easy and it was fun. And is that, were you saving, was a gym in your head? Like, were you saving towards that or was it lit? Did that come later? No. So, uh, there was a period of time where once I stopped art school and I moved into the, let's just call it the party house. Right. And I moved into that party house and I was seeing that that was fun for about eight months. And then I was like, fuck, this is shitty. Like every day you're just woken up hungover, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I started getting like more into CrossFit during that time. And so, um, as I started getting just the more into regular CrossFit, started to learn about it, um, and just wanted to excel at that. That really helped me this, this like determine to be like, okay, this was fun at 20, 21, but now that I'm 22 and I'm getting a little bit older, like I need to actually do something with my life. Like I can't just, you know, drink a shitload and try to like pick up on chicks. Like at some point I should probably do something productive. So, and CrossFit definitely helped with that because, um, shortly after that, uh, I moved out of that house. Um, I moved back in with my parents at that time and that was, uh, they basically were like, Hey, you can move in here. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to support you. And, um, uh, but you have to be working a full-time job. You have to be going to school and everything else. So when I moved out of that house and I moved with my parents, I just focused down on CrossFit. That was basically the, the main, the main thing. And, um, I worked at a warehouse job and I still had the restaurant job. Uh, and I went back to the local community college here to get my AA. What's AA? It's like your associate's degree. It's just basically bullshit. Okay. Not alcoholics anonymous. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> um what were your so what were your parents like pre pre you like when you said like, oh, I'm thinking of like moving out of this house and moving home, were they like, Oh thank fuck, like he's his <laughs> like little crisis is over. He's like his rebel phase is finished and he's going he's finishing all that graffiti shit and he's coming home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think my parents were you know, they just gave me a lot of space, but they were always super supportive and they were super present. So they weren't yeah. ever going to tell me like what to do or kind of how to live my life. Like they gave me the space there. Obviously, they were probably stressed about it through that time. But in your early 20s, everybody's trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, oh, euros too. Thanks, Daniel Kelly. 
And that's so pounds, uh, man. That's pounds. That's oh that's pounds. GB pounds. Yeah. Uh, see, need to college. Uh, um, your AA is obviously shite. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so then they, were, yeah, were they, they were, like? So when you say that, that you had to get a job, were they? Like, did you feel at the time like, okay, I can't like it? It would be very easy for me to fuck this up. Like, they're serious that it's like I'm out if I don't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I mean, as long as I, as long as I was being, as long as I was working hard and I was and I was bettering myself in life, like I think that the support there to be able to live there would have would have kept on for for a long time. Were they dubious of CrossFit? Were they like, oh, here we go, another fucking weird thing he's into? Not really, because I don't think they disassociated it with like anything more than the than the workouts that I was doing before, right? So yeah, my dad okay. had like this old school bench press set up and we had like the punching bag in the garage and we had like a pull-up bar and stuff like that. And that that was around for forever. And they would always have me like, I, they would always see me doing stuff like that. So I don't think they actually knew what the difference was between like CrossFit and that type of working out. I think they were just happy that I was focused on like my health. And obviously when you start getting really into CrossFit, you want to hit the Saturday morning workouts. Right. Like to me, that was another training day. So there's no way I could be out drinking and partying on Friday yeah. night and then have a productive training session on Saturday. Like it just wasn't going to happen. And then on Sunday, I wanted to maximize my recovery and do some sort of active recovery piece, whether it be a long jog or a bike or something like that. So again, there's no way you're going to be out drinking and partying late on Saturday night and have any productive active recovery or anything on a Sunday. Um, so I think that they were stoked about that piece of it because they could see that I wasn't really focused just on like partying and, and hanging out. Like I was actually wanted to do something productive. And were you training at an affiliate or at home? At home at first. And then I found a local affiliate that was just okay. right up the street from my gym. It was super small and it was the first one in Livermore. Um, and had you done a level one at this stage? No. No. Mm. When no. did that come? That didn't come until about actually relatively quickly from when I joined the affiliate. So I joined the affiliate. I went through like the normal on-ramp course, like everything else. Um, I remember going into the affiliate being so stoked to use the barbell and bumpers because I saw it on all the wad like demos and I was like, I need to be like, I just want to do a push press. Like to me, yeah. that was like CrossFit, like a push press with like a set of bumpers and I could like drop it on the ground. Like I was going to be official. Um, and so I went through the on-ramp course and like did that. And then once I was involved with the affiliate, like if you thought I was into CrossFit before, then it just took off. And I was like, I was like, it was, I was the most annoying person, I think, to all my friends back in the day. And now looking back on it, I'm like, I think they distanced themselves from me. <laughs> like when I, I haven't, I haven't seen that guy since 2011. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got, I mean, when I got into it, I mean, literally from 2010 till until basically the journal died, I consumed every single piece of content that was published. Like, no fucking joke. Every piece of content that was published. Like, that mm. CrossFit put it out, I watched it, or I read it. And then I told the next two or three people closest to me about it. To where they started just being like, dude, we're fucked. we don't care about CrossFit. Stop. This fucking journal again. Just stop talking about it. <laughs> All of um, it. And then what, like, so what, so if you're in an affiliate and you're happy and you're, you know, you're drink, you've like down necked the Kool-Aid, you've downed it. Um, why open your own then? Why not just stay there and, you know, reap the rewards of being in that community? Yeah. So I was, uh, I got my tax return check and it was just enough money to, um, pay for the L1. So about six months in that journey, I, I paid for the L1. I did not have any desire to be a coach. Like I, like I said, I was still doing both those jobs and like, um, uh, 
going to school and shit like that. And then um, I was like, okay, I want to take this L1 because I want to get around these trainers. I want to learn more. Like, I really want to like, you know, dig into it. And so after I went and got it, one of the coaches that was at the gym that I was at was like, wait, you have your L1? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you pass? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you should coach here. I was like, ah, I don't think, I don't think it's going to work. And um, then he went and told the owners of the gym at the time. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, hey, Matt has his L1. He should coach here. And they were like, yeah, you should. And then at that point, it was like, there's so many people that I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess I will. And they were like, okay, great. Come this weekend and we'll, we'll get you set up. And I was like, okay. And so that's basically how I started uh, coaching. And actually, um, a funny tidbit about how I got into the gym, because I was super broke, right? Because I just moved back to my parents. I was paying for all my school, all that on my own. Um, but I was lucky enough to live at home. So obviously, like rent and, and for the most part, food was taken care of. And when I went and found the local gym, I like couldn't afford the on-ramp. And then I was like, okay, it's going to be real tough for me to afford a monthly membership. So I painted their logo on the wall of the gym in exchange for the on-ramp. And uh, they gave me like six months for free. And then what ended up happening was I went through that six months, got my L1, paid for two months worth of like gym membership officially, and then became a coach there. Wow. And so I was able to kind of go through that CrossFit experience like really cheap. But yeah, I leveraged my art. I was like, hey, you guys' walls are pretty blank. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I can paint your logo on there. And they're like, you can? And I was like, yeah, here's some stuff that I've done in the past. And like, I went to school, like, awesome. Yeah, done deal. And I was like, great. How do you feel about charcoal portraits of yourself? How <laughs> <laughs> do you want a realistic portrait of your face right here, staring down at everybody working out? Have you, yeah. Have you ever seen those uh, those those pictures of like Rich Froning on the back wall? I just want to do your face just on the back wall. Um. So then what about your own one then? So you're coaching there and then again, it's kind of like, is it just personal aspiration? Was it just like, I like, was it, um, you know, and I'm not looking for you to badmouth anyone, but, but was it like disgruntlement of what was being done there that you thought I could do this better? I could do it differently. Was it just, you wanted to test yourself? You want to see how you could do like, what, what was it that inspired you to start living more then? Yeah. In all honesty, it was a way out. It was a way out and it was a career. Cause I didn't, when I was going to school for that eight day, I had no fuck. I was just in there because that was what you did. You know, if I, if I ran into my parents, friends or other people and they're like, Matt, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I work two jobs and I'm going to school. It sounded like I knew it sounded like I had my yeah. shit together. Right. And if people listening to this could remember that like pressure from the first year graduating high school to going into like that next step. And it seemed to me at that time, like everybody had it figured out. Right. Like, and I was always put in like the, the, for lack of better words, like the stupid classes. And it was always like the remedial, like English and math and all of that. And um, really my personality is what got me through a lot of the classes, to be honest. Like it would be like D and then the comment would be like, pleasure to have in class. And you're like, how does this match up? Um, and so that time like sucked because I just felt super insecure about anything and everything I did. Like all these kids that were going off to college, like had it figured out, they had a game plan, they had this path and like I did not. And so um, once I wanted to get myself back on a track and I was going to school, working the two jobs, like I said, and, and working at the CrossFit gym, I got approached by a husband and wife that wanted to open up their own gym. They had already owned their own businesses and stuff like that. And they were entrepreneurs and they're like, hey, we really like you and the way you're coaching and we're planning to open our own CrossFit gym. Would you potentially want to come and uh, coach for us full time? And I was like, this is a dream come true. Mm. And so um, I met with them. And at the time, it was an interview. But the funniest part about it is I didn't know I was a, uh, it was an interview. Like, I thought I had it. 
Like, so I'm in here and I'm like, hey, yes, what are we doing this? What are we going to call the gym? You know, and they're like, hold on, dude, we don't even know if you're going to be the guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. So they asked me like, hey, if you owned your own gym, what would you do? What would it be like? That type of stuff to make sure that I was a good fit. And um, luckily it, it, it worked out. I was a good I was a good fit for them. And uh, they were like, hey, we're going to bring you on as the head coach, but we're also going to give you a percentage of ownership because it's starting something that's out. Like there's not going to be a lot of money to pay you there. And we want you to be like long-term invested into this, not just have to show up to, um, you know, get to show up to get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that honestly was my in. And I worked with them for about a year. I was still going to the CrossFit gym that I was at at that time. There was no disgruntlement. Like we weren't unhappy that much with the gym that we were at. And, you know, of course, uh, oh, you always think, well, I could do this better if I had my own, right? So mm -hmm. of course there was that, but it wasn't like, a bad relationship or anything. And so we were in Livermore. And that's where I was going to the gym. And we were actually going to open a gym in Tracy. This is a town about 15 minutes away. And we had, um, there was two separate CrossFit gyms in Livermore. CrossFit 580, which is still here. That was the one I started at. That gym is still around to this day. And then there was a thing called MM CrossFit. And MM CrossFit was, they kind of started at the same time. But MM CrossFit started just a little bit, I think actually a little bit earlier than 580. Anyhow, one of my business partners, quit going to 580 and started going to MM CrossFit just to see the different types of styles so we could use that information to make ours, right? And uh, when we got the building in Tracy, we were like, had the lease, everything. We were ready to go. We were going to sign. I had the name CrossFit Altamont because there's an Altamont Pass here in Livermore that goes to Tracy. So I, I owned CrossFit Altamont. I had already gone through the affiliate ship at that time. We just had to like, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's to make it official and pay the money. Um, and we had the building, we had the lease, we had everything sorted out. And right as we went to go tell the uh, owners of the gyms that we we're at, Hey, we're going to leave. Just let you know, we're starting this other gym. The guy who owned MM CrossFit, his name was Mike. Um, he goes, Hey, instead of starting your own, what do you think about buying this gym? And we were like, Oh shit, this changes everything. So we went back to the drawing board and we were like, Hey, this is probably the better approach. We'll start out with members or start out with a place. You know, we don't have to start from ground zero. And uh, so then we ended up buying CrossFit MM and then converting it into CrossFit Livermore. And that yeah, was that's cool. November of 2013. Okay. So 11, you've been open 11 years now then. In, well, the two locations, you know, like it'll entirely. Be, it'll be 10 this November. What did I say? He said, 11. oh yeah, this is 2023, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. Dumbass, Peter. <laughs> um, and have you got anything special planned for 10 years then? Does like does stuff like that matter to you? Like when it was one year, were you like, oh shit? Or were you just like, yeah, that's fine. Like now it's one year and one day and you just keep going. Yeah, pretty much. The 10 year does matter. We are kicking around what we want to do with it. Personally, and uh this is gonna be funny because I don't actually know if this will happen or not. So I'm gonna lay it out there. Personally, I wanted to do something where we um highlight it in November kind of on a random weekend and then just do a little like hangout afterwards where we do a, like a partner workout or something fun and then just have everybody come hang out at the gym for a little bit. And then I want to uh, hopefully bug two, three individuals to show up there at the 10 year, okay. which would be huge for me. Can you guess the three who they are? Yeah. Do you want me to say the three that I'm guessing? Or yeah. Dave, Greg, and Savan. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 So, I don't. I also um, think you wouldn't have to bug much. I think, like you know, I think your relationships are such that I don't think you'd have to bug too much. I think you could do that. I, yeah, I hope. I hope. I hope. Um, I hope. I don't, think they'd, be, I don't think they'd be all that show up either. 
like I think others would show up too. If they, especially if they knew they were coming, like so, like Ken says, Hiller. I bet Hiller would go. Oh, that'd be awesome. You Except know, for Hiller was in the Bay Area and didn't make the drive over. My wife is still never going to forgive him for that. But he's waiting for his uh, handwritten invite to the ten years. He knows what's going. <laughs> so yeah, so we don't have anything official planned. Every year we do a holiday party for the members. So I don't know if we're just going to wrap it up into that or if we're going to split it off into its own things. But we'll have that. Actually, we have a coaches meeting later on tonight where we're going to actually discuss that and finalize the dates. And so That's if we end up doing something where it's a workout, it'll definitely be open to anybody and all who want to come, and we'll post about it and encourage you guys to come show up, get a workout, and say hi. And were you the only coach there at the start then? Was it just you? No. So when we bought it, I had, there was another guy who was full time um, that was with me and um, he was the competitor. Like he was good. And like he was top 35th in our region at that time. And so it was cool because I got, you know, it's funny. You think you're like the best at your gym and then you go and you see like other competitors and you realize you're just a big fish in this tiny little pond. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? It's, 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 it is that like infinitely scalable thing of CrossFit where like there's someone better than you uh, at the gym. And then you go to another gym and you're like, God, this guy pisses all over the guy in my gym. And then you go to like a competition. You're like, fuck, like there's just so many levels to it. And then you go to the games. You're like, forget it. Like, yeah. just forget it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what it kind of was like when I met him. Uh, but we started working together. We were coaching um, the classes. We I had a decent uh, sized staff that was on board um, just as like a volunteer exchange. So they would do a couple hours each week in, in exchange for their membership. And so there was quite a quite a bit of coaches that I started out with. Um, but it was very interesting because that gym was an open gym model. They didn't actually have classes. So they had class times, but there was no officially running of classes. You just kind of showed up and did your thing. So there was like whiteboard and then you were kind of there floating kind of, is it an offer if people needed? Not even whiteboard. So they would wow. just ride up main site. They followed main site. And then on rest days of whoever got to the gym first would just write up whatever they felt like doing. So it was kind of chaotic in terms of like cl classes and stuff like that. It just didn't exist. And so that, that was what we brought to uh, CrossFit Livermore. And so it took a little bit to get the coaches on board. Some of the coaches were like, thank goodness you're doing this because I've been wanting to do this, but it hasn't. Some of the other coaches were like, shit, I have to actually like coach now. Like, I just showed up for two hours and came here for free. It is funny though, because it's kind of like, you know, it's basically like, um, it was more like caretaker than coach. Like you're basically just like unlocking the door and like being the insured person that's present as opposed to like, yes. like there wasn't much coaching involved. I'd say some of them did get a bit of a shock of like, fuck i have to tell people how to warm up and shit like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so a lot of them really um adopted to it really well and the group that was there was they, every coach that was there at the time was freaking awesome they were great great people and so even though it was a open gym kind of base fair style crossfit gym they still had a really good community because the people there were so awesome is there anyone there now that was there like have you many 10-year members yep I got 10 year members and I got 10 year coaches. And in fact, wow. and in fact, the only reason the majority of the coaches have left is because they moved out of state. That's really cool. That's yeah. always a good sign. Like it's always a good indicator. Yeah. So if you would have talked to me prior to the pandemic, I would have told you that 70% of the staff that I started with is, was still there. Wow. Yeah. But then everyone moved with, with the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, a lot of yeah. them shifted out of town, um, changed careers. Because California is kind of strict as well, or was kind of strict, wasn't it? It's strict, but just expensive as fuck, dude. Yeah. The average house price here in Livermore is like nine fifty. 
don't get ex- excited rambler please <laughs> <laughs> don't let don't take this as a dom the first domino to like continue but yeah he's agreeing that california rent's expensive yeah so that was the biggest nine hundred fifty thousand is the average house price dude my parents bought the house that they live in in 96 i think 1996 and they bought it for two hundred sixty five thousand dollars. it is worth almost 1.4 million today Mm-hmm. And in that neighborhood, you're not getting into that neighborhood for less than 1.2 million. Tell them to sell, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I thing. remember we we had like we bought this house just at the start of COVID, like just at the start of lockdown and stuff. And I remember um I remember my brother-in-law specifically being like, terrible idea. Like you're gonna oh, you're gonna get shafted, like the price are definitely gonna drop. And we were like, ah. Uh, we just want to own our own house, like you know, we're sick of paying rent and stuff, so we bought it. Prices have rocketed since. Like, like thank God we didn't listen to him. But yeah. um, yeah, not that I remind him of it like frequently. Um, and uh, recently, so our house, I can't remember what we paid, like two similar to your parents, like two thirty or two something like that, and now it's like three seventy or something. Is like there's houses for sale beside us. My wife is constantly like every so often, every like couple of weeks, another house will go for sale, and she'd be like, "Look at the price, man! We should like, we should sell. Like, we'd make like a hundred grand profit." And I'm like, "And then what would we do?" And then go where? <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> like all the other houses are like, it's not, it's not our house isn't increasing in price while all the rest of them stay the same. Like, we haven't added, and we've decreased the value of this if anything. We've lived here with kids, but yeah, no, it is like it is the thing where you see other people's houses and you're like, oh man if we could sell this and then you remind yourself like but that actually is a false economy it doesn't make any sense because you're just fucked in another way isn't it true as well that in america like lumber and all that shit is like nuts expensive like concrete and lumber and all that yeah i mean it's come down now to like a uh you know a reasonable price but during the pandemic it was fucking insane dude it was insane and um but yeah going back to what you were saying like a lot of the people that had bought early had some equity in the house, were able to sell it, move out of state, and then use whatever as like a, a buy their house outright, right? So they had a house here, maybe they had a little bit of equity into it. They sold it for 3x what they bought it with, went over, bought a bigger place with more property, more space, cash, bought that outright, banked the money that they that they earned from selling their house and live happily ever after. And in fact, like a couple of states around here, like Arizona, Nevada, um, Idaho, they all like were hating on the California millionaires because they could buy a house, sit in it for a couple of years, get some equity into it, sell that house, and then use that to just buy a house outright in a different state and then bank the rest of the money that they made off the sale of the house. What do you mean equity? As in they had some of their mortgage paid off? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, I don't have fuck all equity in this yet. Anyway, I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> and we got like a mortgage statement last week and it was like, wow, that's depressing. <laughs> it's like when you see, and as well, the same week I got a mortgage like statement or whatever update and I got my pension update the same week. And I was just like, oh, this is a fucking double whammy. It's like telling me how, <laughs> telling me how, how little of my house I own and telling me how fucked I am when I'm like when you're whatever, 70. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then okay so wow that's that's really impressive like retention of of members and stuff like it's always a good sign um mm-hmm. th- those that first while then so you're trans transitioning uh don't use that word in front of savannah so you're transitioning into uh your style of coaching and the new owner's style of um 
you know, own like the, the three of you are kind of changing the gym into your own, I don't not image, but you know what I mean? Your own perfect, perfect idyllic setting. Um, when you look back on that now, and you obviously you're in a different location, so you're in 2.0 now, but when you look back on that, are you like, holy shit, I can't believe that we used to do that. Or I can't believe that we thought that was a good idea. Or I can't believe that we stopped doing that. Like, are there, are there like different stages that you've gone through? Cause like, even with this, I know I look back at like stuff I used to put up on Instagram and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like at the time I'm like, this is unbelievably good. Like, you know, have you had that experience with the gym? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean the programming that we had. So our roles when I first got into the gym was the husband and wife. So the husband was, did all the programming and stuff. And, um, he was great at programming. He programmed for me a lot for my stuff. Like he turned me on to like the outlaw way, um, by Rudy. If you guys remember that way back in the day, he was the first one that showed me like Invictus had a competitor training thing. Um, comp train at the time was it, and it was actually called competitor wad, uh, back then and stuff. So he did all the programming. His wife did all kind of the back end business stuff, like the finances, the bookkeeping, the members in, the member out type stuff. And then I basically just did operations as far as managing all the coaches and, and uh, coaching all the classes. And one thing I look back on that I just crack up on is like how over programmed every single class was. Like it was train, it was like programming basically if, if like you wanted to compete in CrossFit. And so like Monday, you would do like five by five back squat at like 80%. Um, you would maybe do some like skill work or something in the warm up, and then you'd have like a 15 or 20 minute Metcon that had nothing to do with the movements that you did in the strength. And so like we were trying to coach these hour long, you know, basically it was a program that would should take an hour and a half to hour 45. And we're trying to condense them down into like these little hour long classes. And it was so funny because all the coaches would just run around like their heads cut off and you weren't really coaching. You were just trying to like manage the time and get everybody flowing. And at the time I would just pride myself like our programming is so superior. Like you, why would you even bother at another gym and stuff like that, <laughs> which was looking back on it. I'm like, damn, we overprogrammed the shit out of those classes back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that's a very common over or under they're probably mm -hmm. the most common like failings that people like trappings or whatever that people fall into have you ever wanted to do like seminar staff or anything i hugely when i first like when i first went into crossfit i um like when i was coaching and everything else i applied every single year to get our gym to be uh, a host of an l1 because i figured if we could get the gym to host to be the l1 i can make some connections with the seminar staff and then i can um you know, use those connections to slowly find a way to like show up and pick up chairs after the end or like whatever it would take to kind of like just get my foot in the door and start to build a relationship to be L1. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a big, that was a big goal of mine early on, hmm. but I never pursued it how I should have. So why, what should you have done differently? Like put more effort to actually doing it. I thought just by applying to the L1 and stuff. Cause later on I did when I, when I, physically showed up at the DDCs and stuff like that. So like, if I would have put that, like really, mm. really put myself out there to do it, I'm, I might've been able to, to sneak in there. Yeah. Um, speaking of getting your foot in the door and, uh, I guess like making yourself useful, that seems to be like your common trend or your common, uh, trait. Um, so whatever, like four years ago, three and a half years ago, you got Savannah to start podcasting again. Mm -hmm. Um, why, like, why did you want to do that? Why him? And why did you want to do like, why take it upon, why take it upon yourself to do it? And why 
get him to do it? Why not do it yourself? Or why not use someone who is more, what's the opposite of persona non grata? More <laughs> persona grata. <laughs> um, because I studied his work. I knew the immense, immense, immense value that Sevon brought to CrossFit the brand. Like when I was watching everything being published through the journal and I was watching all the videos that were coming up and the stories that were being told, I, I knew that it was him that was doing it or I knew that it was somebody um, in his team. And so, or, you know, that, that he was, was reporting to him. And mm -hmm. so I knew that he was kind of the linchpin to the growth of CrossFit in the brand. Now, obviously there's a lot of people within that team, but he was that front end piece of it. And, uh, and it's actually funny. There's, there's a, um, oh, the picture I think is on the, the CFL Instagram, but there's a photo of me and Greg in 2014 when he did his like crush big soda talk. And, um, I remember sitting in there and Grace and I went together and she was like, uh, she's like, okay, we got to grab a picture of Greg. So we could like, we could post it, you know, on the CFL Instagram. I was like, okay. And then she was like, are you going to ask Sevon for a photo? And I was like, no. She's like, why? He's, he's right there. I'm sure we got, I'm like, no, 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 no. And then, so she gets up and then of course, like, you know, I feel super insecure. So I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I just get all like mad at her because I just feel super insecure. And so I kicked myself though. I should have listened to her. I should have got the photo with Sevon at that time because that would have been epic to like, look how like yeah. that's come. Um, but yeah, so I, if we, so let me timeline this out. So it makes sense. In 2016, in January 2016, I went to Ben Bergeron's immersion program. So you got to hang with him for like two full days. And at the time, Harry Paoli was, was working with him. That was like his, his main guy. Now he's an HWPO guy. What year was this? 2016. January 2016. So like, was, was there an Irish guy there? Was Jamie Lawler there? I think he was there. He was in like New England doing like some mentorship thing with him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He Probably runs filthy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I wonder if we were at the same fucking one. I'd say I can't I don't know how many he did, but I know I know Jamie was over there for like a month or like two months or something. Yeah, he didn't um, do very many of them. I yeah. know that. But um I jumped on board to do that because at that time I kind of saw the writing on the wall because they made a bunch of changes to the regionals. So it went from like yours to like the full size to then like the West. And I was like, I didn't stand a shot when there was like you know, 10 people or whatever, let alone, <laughs> let alone now, like, you know, when it's the whole entire West region. So I went to Ben Bergeron's immersion thing and I actually was sitting in his office alone with him. And I was like explaining all this stuff. And he looked at dead me and looked me dead in the eye. And he was like, Hey dude, do you want to make it to regionals or do you want to have a successful CrossFit gym? And he's like, cause you could do both. You're just not going to be very good at either. And he's like, but if you pick and do one, you'll be able to excel. Um, and so that's like, when I came back from that thing, I was all gun ho and like wanted to change the gym around and we were going to do all this. And that created some conflict with my business partners, um, and myself. So we ended up splitting in 2016, that same year. So I got back from the immersion thing, came back all gun ho. We're going to make this the best CrossFit gym ever. We're going to blow this business up by November. They're like, fuck you, you do it then. Cause we're, we're over it. We're, we're sick of having to deal with you. Right. Um, so they, so I got the gym from them in 2016. And then as I started to get to more on the business side, my goals started to switch from like, Hey, I want to be an L1 staff seminar to where I was like, I want to be CEO of CrossFit. And, um, so I just continued to like learn and study and like read a ton. And then, uh, I, um, started trying to make myself useful in the CrossFit space by, uh, starting my own podcast. I did that on December, um, 
31st of 2017. And I did a a wild New Year's Eve, (laughs) a wild New Year's Eve. And I did an episode weekly for three years. Wow. Nobody watched it. Just you like talking about CrossFit. (laughs) Just me talking about CrossFit. But I positioned it for relevancy for my members because I knew that that was my first audience. And so I was like, okay, hey, if I get 100 people that watch this, that's like, you know, majority of my gym watching this podcast. And so was it like the the day the was it like about programming or was it about like what was the what yep, was the topic? It was about okay. programming. It was about class etiquette. It was about skipping reps. It was about scaling progressions. It was about the news and CrossFit at large. Like at at a time, I felt like I was the only one that thought like the NSCA case was like the best thing to ever happen. And I'm like had news about it and talked about it and everything else. So you had so you that. essentially did what hitter is doing now first. <laughs> Yes, talking about and, like shaving reps. You essentially did what Savan is doing, but did it first, talking about the news, like his update show. <laughs> so, like all the ideas that are currently populating in the space over the last three, four years, you were doing them like on New Year's Eve, Grace in the other room, counting out like three, two, and you're like, guys, have you seen this NCA case? <laughs> <laughs> and it's all documented. You could go back to my YouTube channel and you could see all of it. And here's the other thing, too. I got all you suckers beat. I was going live. Wow. And doing it on YouTube. And the reason why I was going live was because there was no post-production work and I was too busy to try to edit and upload. That's cool. So I, I started going live like year, three, four years ago and would do these live. And then I would just try to get other co-hosts. So I would like make Grace come on it with me and she'd be like, oh, fuck, like, here we go. Like, you're gonna, you know, and then I, I made um, uh, Albert, who's the head coach of the gym now like come on it with me and stuff in the funny thing yeah. 0.0. <laughs> and uh hiller and i a year ago were in newport staying staying together in newport and he wanted to make some content um because he was still doing the video per day then and so we went out and sat on the beach and we were walking through that and literally hiller goes that's right you made videos like i made videos before i did and he put a couple clips of them like up there and uh yeah it's pretty funny like the the rogan and matt frazier thing like that was one of the, the one of my few videos that caught a little bit of attention, um, and I, I still remember the, my opening line to capture people. I was like, "Well, that was a swig and a miss on the Joe Rogan podcast." <laughs> and like clipped to this picture of some guy shoving a stick in his bike stokes, you know. <laughs> um, and so I had I had some uh, fun with it, but yeah, so I did all of that back then, and um, not a lot of people obviously watched it, but I knew that I was getting the reps in, and so I knew that eventually this would help in something else because that's kind of how things kind of happened in my life. So even with like the skateboarding and the filming of the skateboarding and helping my other friends get sponsored when I was like 16, like in learning how to edit, learning how to film all that by myself, that was still in like a high eight tape where you would plug in the mini DVR and like, you'd have to go get the, the, you know, the editing software. Like I'd pirate it from like Napster or something like that. And I was building skate videos for my friends. I was filming them. They were much better than I was. And I was going to skate shops and I was getting them sponsored. And then in exchange for sponsorship, I'd be like, hey, I get your free pair of shoes the first time you get them. They're like, done, you know, because they're getting paid a little bit of money and getting free shit from the skateboard shop. Um, And that skill later on came up. And so I knew that as I was building the podcast, that media was going to be important and and getting used to talking and things like that and making videos and making content and understanding how to do that was going to be good. I did a bunch of vlogs too. Um, like you remember Casey Neistat, Are you Casey Neistat guy ever, you know who that is? Um, so I used a lot of like the same type of style stuff that he did and kind of like mimicked his style, but would literally follow my gym to like a local competition 
and make it about them or like, you know, me in the gym, following me on my day throughout the gym and that type of stuff. So I made those type of style videos too, as well as just the live podcast type of content. Um, and so I guess I should tie this into like the Sevon thing, right? So every time I made content, I would post a little clip of it on YouTube and then I would tag Sevon in it. And one clip he reposted, which that's all I wanted to do. And, uh, and I'm, the Instagram has changed so much, but this was the strategy and anybody could use this, this is, if you're listening. Your goal, if you have no followers and you want to start to get around other people that have other followers or like advance your relationships within the space, the first thing you need to do is move from your re the request box and their DM to their primary because otherwise it goes into your request and you never see it. So all as I needed to do was catch the attention at the right time of Sevon for him to see the post, repost it, and that automatically moved me out of his request into his primary, which meant anytime that I wrote to him, it would populate now in an inbox that he would see as opposed to one he would not see. Yeah. And um, the clip that got moved over there was one that I was like on some rant. And I was like, should your grandma do CrossFit? Yeah, she should. Here's it. And like, you know, went into this whole thing and he liked it. And so he reposted it. And then that's what started our kind of conversation. Cause I knew I, I could get his attention in the inbox now because I moved from request to primary. Were you excited? Like when you got the notification of like, as reposted, were you like, Oh my fucking God. Right. It Dude, happened. Bro, was I excited <laughs> son? I <laughs> like, I can't tell you. So I used to sit in the garage of my parents' house because, like, as a kid, we had this whole setup as, like, a hangout out there. There's all these couches and all this stuff, right? And so as an adult, it was all cleared out, of course, when we had moved out after high school. My brother had, like, gone to college and stuff. And so there was just one chair at a desk. And I would just go out there at night, and I would, like, read the journal or watch videos just to have my own space so that way they could have their living room and stuff. And um, I, I saw on my Instagram it got repopulated. And for, like, one moment, I just, like, sat back and leaned back, and I was like, I've made it. Like I have arrived, <laughs> you know, and like looking back on it, you're like, dude, he just fucking reposted. He reposted, you know, hundreds of people's of stuff. I ran in. I was like, mom, check it out. Look, you know how huge this is. This guy's the direct, the media director at CrossFit. Like this is my in and like showed grace and stuff like that, which is funny because my mom met Sevon uh, last year when he came to our like reception thing for the wedding. And of course yeah. she told him that story. It was so oh, great. <laughs> Between that and the let's get a picture with him. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. uh, first impressions. You've made three first impressions on him, basically. That's funny. Nailed it. Um, and then so, uh, like, was it in your head for him to start doing it again? Because he obviously ran. He did the podcast for like the the dot com podcast, basically the CrossFit podcast. Love so was that. it in your head that like we need to have that back? Like, was that your idea? And then I want him to do what I'm doing, but like he obviously has a bigger audience. He has like the, the reputation, he has the skills or whatever, like already. Was that just it basically? Yeah, that was a hundred percent it because that CrossFit podcast was immensely valuable. If you were an affiliate owner or just a fan of the CrossFit, like the people he brought on the stories that he was telling the attention that that was bringing in was huge. And um, so once I moved from his request to the primary inbox, I kind of would just put little things like to just kind of keep that relationship building a little bit. And then one day I went in for the hardcore ask and I was like, Hey, how do I get invited to one of these DDCs? And he was like, Oh, here, here's Karin's email. Just email her. You're an affiliate owner. She should let you in. Right. And so I met him at the DDC and at this time the CrossFit podcast had stopped. And I was like, dude, like this is the first time I met someone. I was like, why'd you stop the CrossFit podcast? What, what year was this? Like 2018. 
18. Yeah. This is pre pre media call. I think it was like right when that had happened. Okay. Like right when they had cut all the media um, and everything else. And so Zevon was like, yeah, like, you know, I want to start it back up. It's not really my choice. Like send some emails in. Maybe we could get it going again. And um, so I knew how valuable the podcast was because two, two reasons. Chris Cooper went on that podcast, talked about his books, the way he ran his affiliates. I bought both of his books and I just internalized the material. It helped the gym immensely. The second person, which doesn't get nearly enough credit when Sevon tells uh, the story, is Craig Howard. Because I wanted a mentor, like I was seeking a mentor, somebody else who was ahead of me in the space. And at the time, there was no way I could afford the two brain business uh, model, right? And so I did the next best thing when I saw Craig come on there. I'm like, holy shit, he's like Chris Cooper, but he's local. Like I could go drive to his gym. And um, so I just reached out to Craig on DM on Instagram and was just like, hey, I'm a local affiliate owner. I own Cross a little more I have for, you know, X amount of time. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And um, so I was extracting all that value out of that podcast. So I knew it would be important for other people. And uh, so that was that was like the main the main goal was to first try to get that back. Then obviously with the sell of CrossFit and then they let Sevon go. Um, I knew that that wasn't going to be a possibility again. So after, and by the way, too, once I reached out to Craig on DM, he was super generous and he's like, dude, come on out. Let's have a conversation. And he's like, I got like a half hour. And I ended up taking like two hours of his time because I had all these ideas and like, we really connected well and, um, and just had a good time with him. And so after that, I hit him back up and I was like, Hey, can you be my mentor? He's like, I don't know how, like, I don't even know how to set this up. Right. Um, but anyways, he did, he set it up and I worked with Craig for about, uh, three or four months. He came into classes at my gym. I came into class, learned about best practices, about the systems he was using. It helped out my gym a ton. Um, so you, so, you had, when those, when the two original partners that you bought them out, basically, was it, they sold you yes. their stake. Okay. Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And the, yeah. And there's a whole other side piece of that too. That was I almost completely failed immediately after getting the gym, but, um, hang on. Whoa. God, why? <laughs> so when I first signed on the dotted line and owed them a lot of money, I wasn't, I was ignorantly, uh, unaware of what I was getting myself into. And the second I signed on the dotted line, it was like, Oh, here's the financials. As if oh, I shouldn't have wow. looked at those before I signed on the dotted line realized that the gym on a good month would make about a hundred bucks on a bad month would lose about 200 bucks. The main issue, the main issue, which I wasn't fully aware of at the time was that I didn't have a fucking building. So if you remember when I took over the gym, officially signed on the dotted line, uh, November of, um, 2016, mm -hmm. uh, they were like, Hey, you should probably call the building owner to, you know, secure the lease. It's going to be up in, in August. And that's not a lot of time. If you need to move a whole entire CrossFit gym and find another place to go. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I call the dude up and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm, I was one of the business partners. I took over full ownership. I want to extend the lease out. Like maybe we could do a two or a three. And he goes, Oh, they didn't tell you. I go, tell me what? And he goes, we sold the building. He goes, you need to be out in August. <laughs> and I went, okay. And so I go back and I remember getting all the financials in front of my mom. And I was like, yeah, check it out. I just got like 8,000 bucks. It's in the checking. And she's like, you realize the expenses monthly are $11,000, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, what is it? What do you mean? And she's like, you're $3,000 shy of what you owe every single month right now. And I Stop was like, coming at me with all these facts, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I'm the best coach there is. It'll be fine. 
And, um, and so I was like, oh, fuck, like, this is a serious problem. And when I started to go look for other buildings in the area, I realized that even if they would accept me because the financials were shit on the business, even if they were to accept me in there, how would I get in? Because I would owe first and last months, not to mention just the cost of changing the gym over in general. Right. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I searched frantically for a building. Everything was looking really, really bad. I found one building. This is the building that we're in now. And I talked to the guy and his name was, his name is Bob Quantman. And he was in his uh, mid eighties when I was talking to him, he was super rich because he owned a bunch of real estate on Coronado and Hawaii here in Livermore in the Bay area and stuff. And he kind of looked over the stuff and like heard me talking. I was like, no, but you don't understand this gym's going to be great for the community. It's going to be one of the like, you're you know, like the, put, the, putting your hand over the accounts. Be like, no, li- <laughs> never mind that stuff. Just listen to me. Yeah. You know, if you're a real entrepreneur like myself, you don't sweat the small stuff like numbers. <laughs> Unless you're scared. You scared? Is that what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, you bitch. And uh, so basically he goes, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And he goes, not because you can afford it. He goes, but because I like you and I like your energy and your enthusiasm. And you remind me of myself when I was starting out. And I was like, awesome. And he goes, now you need to come up with (laughs) $21,000. So it was an opportunity. It was like, it wasn't much of an opportunity. (laughs) No, but he allowed me to get in there. So I negotiated him down from the 21 to like 16,000 to get in. Um, and the reason why I'm being specific about this, that number was because I had to come up with that much money and mind you, I had never seen that much money before in my life Mm. ever, ever. Right. Like $16,000 check. It might've, might've well been a million, six, 16 million. It didn't fucking matter because the number seemed so extreme to me. Um, so I was like, okay, just tried to play it cool. And luckily I was his name Bob is how he said Bob Quantman. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Cool, cool, Bob. Cool. No, no yeah. problem. No problem. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Like, no, cool. No problem. No problem. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing, too. Like, my parents, as supportive as they were, we never had money growing up. So, you know, the support definitely came in like, hey, you'll have a bedroom. But, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As far not as, like, like here's money, a blank check. Yeah. No, fuck no. No, 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 no. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So that definitely wasn't happening. And, um, you're like going home from the meeting being like so guys um how's your health everyone feeling good no one (laughs) no one's due any life life assurance or anything you're all you're all healthy shit okay okay (laughs) but uh yeah no they were extremely supportive and in fact they actually co-signed on the little bit of a personal loan that i had originally coming in so they i mean they were really supportive me so i'm i was super 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 like blessed with that and like thankful that i have the parents that i have um, but they weren't going to give me $16,000. <laughs> and so um, so at the time, when I'd first taken over the business, I was doing uh, B2B stuff. I was I was working with other businesses uh, due to one of my members uh, set me up with Columbus Foods. They make salamis and sausages out here in the States. And uh, so I was showing up and I was doing their boot camp class, right? And um, it was like- Or a like program. a corporate gig kind of. That's exactly what it was. So I'd show up at their place and I would try to rally people to come do a workout. And it wasn't really a workout because they didn't have much equipment. So it was kind of like a elongated, like warm up, so to speak, yeah. with a little bit of part where we got their heart rate up, right? So uh, I'm doing this for a couple of months. I got the opportunity with Bob, the opportunity with Bob. And um, it just so happened like a week or so after this is I'm stressing, like, how am I going to move this business? My window of time is like closing and closing and closing. I do have a building, but now how do I afford to, um, now how do I afford to get into it? 
And so uh, by, again, just stars aligned. And one of the guys that I was coaching inside that boot camp um, comes up to me and he's like, hey, the warmups and the type of exercises that you have us do have really helped uh, with my hips and my shoulders. And I was like, okay, great. And he goes, I'm the general plant manager of Hormel Foods. I go, okay. And he goes, how do we bring what you're doing to my plant workers? That'll cost you $16,000, sir. <laughs> you are 100% correct. And I go, yeah. well, I don't know. He goes, well, here, do this. He goes, quote me some time. Let me know what it looked like for you to show up here, kind of teach our team leaders the warm up, put it down on paper so they could recall it. Like, let me know what all that costs. So I literally went home and it was like $16,521.31. And I just reverse engineered the quote into that, the invoice into that number and kind of just bullshitted the rest. Like, this is my hourly pay. Yeah, this yeah. Is how much Piece work. of paper, this is written on 31 cents. There, yeah, did it. <laughs> exactly. And, um, and by some freaking miracle, it worked. I submitted the invoice to them and basically just held my breath. And it's funny because when I talk about it uh, with Grace, we were headed to, in May, we were headed to a family reunion in Michigan. Her family's from the Midwest. And um, so I told her, I was like, I was like, hey, dude, if I don't, if I don't, like, if this doesn't go through, I was like, we might as well not come back. <laughs> like, there's nothing there besides bankruptcy and debt for me. That's all that's going to happen. And, um, <laughs> and so she's like, okay, okay. And so lo and behold, I sent that email out in like two weeks before we took off in May. And so now you figure in May, June, July, yeah. August is that deadline. Um, they came back and they accepted the thing and he goes, great. We have accounting processing. You should have a check within, within another week or so. Wow. Yes. And so I got paid the largest check I'd ever received in my life. And immediately just. Yes. And I went like this and I was like, yeah, the deposited was like, Hey Bob, I got your money, son. <laughs> he just crossed out your name and wrote Bob. <laughs> and so it deposited in the account and I gave it a couple of days and I wrote the check to get into the new building and, the bank account basically balanced back out to damn near zero after that. And, and away I was, and I negotiated in too. Cause by the way, you have to, you have to understand like, uh, when I first started bartending, I had this bartender trainer named Beerman and something he, he said to me, like, always, always stuck. And he goes, he was supposed to train me. And half the time we were drunk, 75% of the time we were drunk. And he leans over and he's like, no matter what happens in this bar, no matter how bad you screw up, you never let him see you sweat. You're always in control you're the dude back here. And I was like, all right, Ryan, you got it. Like, it's a, like it's a fucking OR or something. Like yeah. it's like life and death. <laughs> and so I kind of always like internalize that because if anybody's ever worked, by the way, in the hospitality or the service industry, that's some high pressure shit. You don't, you would think dinner wouldn't be, but if you work in the service industry, especially if every girl I worked with that was a server or bartender, I saw cry at least two times throughout the year. Like, <laughs> like minimum right because you feel that pressure was that guy's so, name actually beerman or was that like is yes. that his surname no ryan beerman was his name wow so like if ever it was written in the stars that you're gonna have a job it's like fate dude and he was an awesome guy him and i actually took acting classes together one time too <laughs> it was an improv and there was a bar across the street from the tracy grand theater and we'd go have a couple beers and we'd go over to the acting class it was hilarious um but anyway so so yeah, so I I basically played it cool in front of Bob with that kind of never let him see you sweat mentality. And the whole time I talked to Bob, I go, hey, Bob, just looking over this, you know, I want to mitigate my losses on the move. And of course, by this time, I've read a handful of business books. So I got the vernacular down, you know what I'm saying? From a business 
standpoint. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, hey, Bob, you know, I've just, gotta... I've just done some back that I can math here, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I think that this is a great deal. What if we go from from a three year to a five year? Um, extend that lease out a little bit. I'm feeling really confident about this spot. I want to, I want to kind of set roots down in here, and then in exchange for that, you give me the month of August for free. And he goes, okay, deal. I was like, again, the second time I'm like, okay, awesome. And then I turn around and I'm like, like holy <laughs> shit, that worked. And um, sorry, so that, sorry, Bob, did I just did I say August? I meant August and September. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so he gave me that that free month, and um, and that was huge because I was able to intake the revenue that month, which gave me just a little bit of separation. And at the time, the gym was growing because I was invested into it a hundred percent. Like I was damn near coaching at that time, pretty much was coaching every single class. The staff started to shrink as like people went on and did their own things. And, um, and so, and so, yeah, so that was, uh, that was basically it. I, I played it cool and, and came up with the money by some skin of my teeth and got that extra month, which allowed me a little bit of breathing room. And then that kind of helped, uh, change the gym around, um, financially. And then from that point forward, uh, up until the pandemic, I just saw year over year, uh, solid growth. That's cool. Good man, Bob. Um, Bob's a good dude. The, uh, go back to Savannah then. So mm. you were kind of haggling him a little bit or not haggling, nagging him a little bit to, to get going again. Had he any interest? Was he like, fuck off? Like I'm after getting fired. I've, I don't want to do this. No, so the funny thing is, is like, what's so, so Savon got fired at this point. I had been building the relationship. And by the way, once I got led into one DDC, somebody fucked up and left me on the email list. So I kept showing up <laughs> and like, I wasn't invited. And in fact, of like my third one in there, they were like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I own an affiliate. Do you need help with trash or setting up the chairs? Right. Um, and at that time too, my relationship with Savon started to become a little bit more. Uh, because I, I told them this idea that they should convert every single journal article into an audio version form. And you should have the audio journal. It should just be everything converted to an audio file. And Savon's like, that's a great idea. You should do it. And so I did the first three. I did what is fitness. I did fitness, luck, and health. I did squat. And oh, fuck, there's one more. So I, I guess I did four. But anyhow, so I had, I had converted word for word all of Glassman's articles and like posted them up for free and stuff. So then that helped kind of build my validity and reputation with uh, Savon. And then um, after the company got purchased and he got let go, I hit him up. <laughs> Again, this is going to sound so selfish. And I was like, hey, now that you're no longer working for CrossFit, <laughs> do you want to come on my podcast? <laughs> and by some crazy stroke of luck, he's like, yeah, let's do it. You have to come to my house. And I was like, done, when? He's like, come Saturday. And this was like Thursday or something. And I was like, done. And so I packed up all my equipment and went out and uh, interviewed. And I think I was the first podcast that Sevon was ever on outside of shows that he ran. And um, so that kind of helped our relationship. And then I made videos that were as critical of CrossFit, the Hiller 0.0 videos that was critical of uh, critical of CrossFit. And um and so he would like call me and be like, oh, this was good, like this information. So our relationship started to build. And then when I saw his podcast, because he had had like three or four episodes, he did Kalipa, he did Dave, and a couple other people. And um, he did Dave at the ranch, didn't he? No, it was in his, it was in the same spot him and I did it in, in the garage. I remember, like, uh, yeah, because I, I remember he didn't do them live and then he like he started doing them live later on but i remember there was a thing i remember yeah. dave like 
did an, an IG live while Savan was recording the podcast or something. So he's doing the podcast and Dave was like live on Instagram the entire time they were doing it. And he was like, oh, you have to do it live. Um, but yeah, I, can't, I, I guess I just assumed it was in the ranch because it's Dave. But yeah, traveled, he travels now anyway. So it's funny if I, because I just pulled up and I went to like the oldest videos, right? Because that was prior. That was, that was when he had the dog as his yes image or whatever yeah yeah so he had done uh four eight twelve sixteen episodes seventeen eighteen nineteen episodes before i got involved um and i saw his podcast coming back up and i was like oh this is awesome uh yeah there's well there's two so i'm I'm thinking of one and you're thinking of the other i'm guessing my one is later than your one was Uh, yeah will also gives a compliment so i'll pull that up do awesome deals love you guys Oh, well. oh I will. Love you too. And um, so yeah, so he had done a handful of episodes, and then after um, afterwards, I saw them stop, and then it just completely ended. And so I I really thought that like his podcast was awesome, and it was great for the CrossFit space. So I literally just reached out to him. At this point, I'm on a text base or phone call, you know, phone call base with him, and um, I said, "Hey, dude," I said. And this, uh, I hope this provides some value for anybody who wants to like try other stuff out in the space or just get involved with anybody else. I called them and I, and this is what I said exactly. I said, Hey, what part of the podcast is crucial, but you absolutely despise having to do it. And right away he goes, Oh, fuck, scheduling guests. I hate having to do that. And I said, Okay, perfect. I said, What if we start this again? And I, and, and it was funny because at the time I said, And what if I have my front desk person schedule all, all your guests? And he goes, Okay, let's do it. Savannah was her name, is her name. And um, and that's basically how it started. And our first podcast together was like, I think it was like March, and it was Zach Rule. And uh, and that was it. She Savannah started scheduling the guests. Um, she probably scheduled maybe the first five or ten. And then Savannah just went on a tear and wanted to do it like three times a week, four times a week, every day. And uh, so then that got like hard for her to like keep up with and everything else. So then I took that, I took that over, and uh, that's basically how that started. And what is so? What do you call yourself then? Your producer, co-host, Matt. Matt. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't until later that um, Sevon started calling me the producer, and then as more people started helping with the back end, then he started calling me the executive producer. And I assume that was kind of like a little nod to like an elevation in status, yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, were you surprised that like? I've asked him this before as well, so I'm curious mm-hmm. from your perspective. Were you surprised at how, say now in hindsight, whatever three years ago, were you surprised at how much it took off, the heights it's reached, the fact that it's led to the behind the scenes coming back, it's led to like the CEO has been on the show, the like the actual like CrossFit CEO, <laughs> not the self appointed, um, but like you know Don has been on the show, like all like you know, Chris from Two Brain has been on, like all these people that um, you would have looked up to and that you would have seen as being important in the space have now been on the show, as well as all these huge athletes, like any of the biggest athletes have been on it at least once, if not multiple times. Like, mm-hmm. were you anticipating that sort of success or that sort of like, I don't know, prowess with it? Like it's the biggest podcast in CrossFit now by a wide margin it's the best podcast in crossfit now by a wide margin 
but like is that what you anticipated or were you just like let's do it and see what happens kind of thing i guess the answer would be yes and no so like i knew that i knew the talent and what Sevon was capable of i watched him do it with crossfit and um so so yes um i i did kind of expect that that would happen but what i didn't expect until i got close to Sevon was just how hard working he is like i knew he was because that type of shit doesn't happen on accident mm. but until you're like with him and you see you see it up close you're like holy shit like this dude is a workhorse and he would probably absolutely um hate this phrase that i'm going to use about him right now but i saw him quickly like as as we really started to get going and he was doing it like you know daily and stuff like this i was like holy shit this dude's a mentor now like the amount of stuff that i'm learning from him his interview style the way he handles himself in the space like his work ethic the discipline like all that type of stuff like i was like holy shit like this is incredible and then uh i would say about six months into that i was like okay this 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 is gonna be big i could really feel it now like i always kind of knew it was going to be big but once my belief was matched by the actual witnessing of his like, work like ethic pr proof of concept kind of like yeah you saw it, then yeah. i was like i was like oh yeah okay so my because you know i had a ton of belief in him and what he could do because of the value that it brought to me the value that it brought to crossfit like the proof was in the pudding right but until you're up close and like working lock and step with him like you really don't i don't think you could fathom like the level of discipline and work that he he actually brings to the table and so once i saw that and i saw these doors opening up and these relationships i was like okay i think this could be something really big and it's remarkable as well because you know i kind of like jokingly called him persona non grata earlier on but like he did have that reputation among he still does among certain people um and like you know we kind of talked about this at the weekend I spoke to Taylor about it a bit as well, where that was an irrelevant. I don't know why the fuck I said that as if people need to know that I spoke to someone else about this previously. That it's actually a, it's a trait I have that really fucking pisses me off. That if I'm talking to someone, I'm gonna it's as if I know they know I've talked about it already and I want to preface the fact that I've talked about it already, even though there's no way they could know I've talked about it already. So <laughs> as in like, oh, dude. I was just saying to my wife, as if they were in the fucking room and now I'm repeating it, and they're gonna be like, Why are you telling me this again? I don't know why I do it, it's really fucking annoying. Anyway, um, there's this, um, there's like a, I was asked on Instagram the other week, like, oh, is, do you think there's a split? Like, do you think there's like a talking need fitness and a savan split? Um, and I think they were asking me because they consider me to be in like the savan camp. Um, and I kind of said like, well, I don't think there's becoming a split. I think there has been a split and there's been a split since like 2018, basically like since the media team was let go where, I think Savan kept doing what he was doing. And I think other people maybe were a bit safer, a bit more vanilla, a bit more kind of bland, a bit more like, you know, all aiming to please everyone, kind of like aiming mm -hmm. to, you know, not not mm -hmm. piss anyone off, whatever. Whereas Savan just stayed true to who he was. And that's not to say that they didn't, maybe that is their thing, whatever. Um, but people don't some people don't like Savan, and I think the reason that they don't like him is because they don't actually listen to, it's the only reason I can think of, because I know I didn't like him. Like there was a long time where I thought he's a fucking jackass, like I can't. But then I kind of like realized that you don't actually 
just have to agree with <laughs> everything that somebody says to yeah. respect them or to like them. And I think once I was able to get past that, it became really easy for me to see the value that he brings and to see like you're, you say that, Oh, like this guy's a mentor. Like that's how I view him for that. Like a lot of the success that I've had and it's relative, like relative to his, it's small, but a lot of the success that I've had, I attribute to him and the group around him, like you guys, where I see what will does for, um, you know, graphic design or like making like clips or whatever. And I think, okay, I need to start doing that or I need to try and like emulate that a bit. Or I see what you do with like reaching out to different and very guests. And I think, okay, and I need to start doing that. And I see the way he interviews and I think, okay, maybe I should change the way I do things or maybe I should be less formal or maybe I should be less like stuck in a way of doing things and just go with the flow more because he does it and it works well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that kind of element to it as well. And I think had I not got past that stage of, oh, but I disagree with his views on X, Y, or Z. I would have never been able to get to that point of have like being able to look up to him and being able to use the things that he's done and the things that he's learned. Um, but I kind of feel pity for the people that are like, oh, I'd never go on his show or, oh, I'd never listen to his show. And it's like, like you don't even know the damage, not even the damage that you're doing, but you don't know how much you're holding yourself back as a personality or an athlete or whatever, by not going on it, you mm-hmm. also, as a listener, don't understand how you're limiting your exposure to like incredible conversations or like inane, stupid, funny stuff. That's just pointless, but is inane and stupid and funny and entertaining. Um, and it's frustrating because you're kind of like, man, if you just want to know more about what people do and what they fucking eat and how they recover and like, what's the hardest workout you've ever done? Like if you Mm -hmm. want to actually dive into something, if you're limiting your exposure to him because you disagree with his views on fucking race or like sexuality or whatever, like it's just so stifling or I don't know. It's like, it's just like, you'd love to just say, one like just listen to a full like open minded just listen to a full one and then come back afterwards yeah but i think the divide is there because people are like no like they won't even step out to see if they like it has like has that been a a point of frustration for you guys for like do you kind of just say like fuck it they'll either come and like it or it's never going to happen anyway so we'll just focus on the ones that do that was an incredibly long-winded question. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. But I mean, it's a good question because I think a lot of people like think about that in the space too. And I, I basically just put it as like, if you're going to headline read or listen to maybe one thing or an opinion from somebody else and not really like take the time to understand or listen to like a full episode or listen to like his point of views in depth about it to understand what he's saying and why, then you're not the type of person that I want to convert over anyways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're just going to kind of read that headline and move on. And I would say that if most people gave the whole episode a shot or his point of views like a, a, a listen to, they would realize that he's actually, even though he does have strong opinions about things, he's actually probably one of the most open-minded people I've met. Because you could bring anything to the table of discussion. He's like, all right, I'm open to it. Like, let's hear it. You know, and not in a sense of like he's trying to play gotcha or like prove you wrong. Like legitimately, like he is like open to the discussion. And I just think he's authentically him. And for some people, that that level of authenticity, that level of depth, they're not ready for it because they haven't actually internalized that in themselves. They're not ready to expand their thinking into certain areas to be open to it. Now, whether that'll crush their self-image or whether that'll crush their worldview, I don't know. But 
um, I think that that, I think it has some more to do with like the, those type of individuals mindsets. And I think that's why you've seen it grow the way it grows, because whether you show up because your favorite athlete happened to be on, or whether you're like, I hate this dude so much, I'm going to listen to it to prove him wrong. And then you get halfway through and you're like, oh shit, he makes a lot of sense. Right. Or you listen to the full interview because you're like, I love Haley Adams. So I'm just going to show up to listen to this because Haley was on it. And then you're like, wow, I've watched everything Haley's been on. And I've learned more about her in this hour and a half than I did the last three years following her. Right. The second, the second show, not the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think once people like, if you're not open to giving that a shot and you can't kind of, you can't kind of, a, um, you can't just allow that, allow that space to have that happen. Then I, you know, I can't help you. You're not, you're not there yet like in your mindset. And I'm sure that applies to a lot of other things like in your life outside of just listening to the podcast or not too, right? Mm. There's an interesting one here. So Olivia says, <clears throat> Savannah is authentic. Persevi is authentic. I'm sure he loved being called that. Um, but it's an interesting one because authenticity is often like lauded as, oh, I'm authentic or this person is so authentic or whatever. And it's it, like, it often comes out in the wash as being disingenuous and like it's not actual authenticity it's like kind of full authenticity at self-progression at like you know i want to either preserve myself or get a step ahead like step on someone's head to get above them or whatever and i'm mm -hmm. going to use authenticity as my weapon or my you know my ladder mm -hmm. to get above them or whatever mm -hmm. whereas like <clears throat> savannah is a funny one where like say i've i uh, I, I'm an overthinker, so I always over overanalyze things, overanalyze conversations, overanalyze like you know um, interactions and stuff. So for a long time, I was like, like, uh, do I get on with Savan? Like, do we get on with each other? Like, are we like are we friends? Are we acquainted? Like, what is the relationship? Um, does he just think I'm a fucking idiot? Like, is he just bringing <laughs> me on because he's like, does he like view me as some kind of low level competition that he wants to either absorb or wipe out? Like, I don't understand what's happening. Um, and then, then he was like, oh, um, I'm going to send you headphones and I'm going to send you a monitor. And then like, just even the interactions in the group chat now a lot of the interactions in the group chat still leave me being like are we friends <laughs> like, you know, it's like, but like that that kind of authenticity like you say that openness to being wrong and stuff like i remember when he was on the show on my show way back and i remember the first maybe 20 minutes was like a live call-in show that he does now where he was talking about race he was talking about like covid i was like what the fuck am i gonna do and like I'm not educated in any of that because we don't really have like we're kind of only getting into that stage of our country's progression now where we have the kind of racial issues and stuff. Uh, yeah. with well, with regards to skin color, I suppose. But um I just said like <clears throat> yeah, I don't I don't really know, man. <laughs> like I was just like, I don't I don't don't I don't really know. Like I don't know. I'm not educated enough in it to hold an opinion. And he just like respected it and was like, Yeah, cool, I respect that. And then I, he's like talking about the vaccine and stuff. And I was like, well, I got it because I have to go to work. And if I don't go to work, I can't pay my mortgage. And he was like, yeah, I respect that. I understand it. You know, like, and exactly. he could have been like, well, fuck you for just doing what, you know, like. Right. I think that's what people expect him to be like. Whereas he right. was like, look, I just sit at home in my sweatpants all day on the couch. Like, I literally remember that was the quote he said. I, I sit at home in my sweatpants all day. You go and teach kids. So you got to do what you got to do. And like, 
I fully expected him before I started saying that. I remember having a knot in my stomach saying like, am I going to admit that I got the vaccine to him? <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> I remember like, what, is he going to hang up? Like, what's he yeah, going to yeah, do? He's like, hey, we're done here. You're gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, I think that's one of the things that most people misunderstand. In the proof is in the the pudding. Sorry, I don't want to cuss on your show and, and throttle back your channel. <laughs> but the proof is in the pudding, right? Like so many people want to have this, oh, there's there's enough for everybody. Uh, we come from abundance. Like it's not about your slice of the pie. It's about growing the pie, you know, whatever else. Um, uh, high tides rise all boats. How many people can you point at that actually do that though in this space? In not very many. I would say fucking probably zero. But if you look at it in terms of Sevon, it's very quickly you could see how many people he's brought along the ride with him, right? Or once he like reaches out and is like, hey, I, you know, I like so-and-so and they have an opportunity to get brought in and you're contributing and we're all building each other up. Like now you're in, you're like, you're part of the homies and, yeah. and we're going to continue to uplift all of each it's other. It's funny because when you were saying that, how many people can you point at? I was like 14. <laughs> this right, is like 14 right, people right, in that group chat like because right. someone asked me i remember someone talking about like competition and stuff and i was like on paper we should all hate each other like it should be and that's the way it is in other parts i think where um people see savannah's competition and they see like the other side and whatever and i think people expect like hiller and savan to be like fighting over views or like brian with be friendly to be fighting over views and to like clash uh to like clash constantly and like yeah. you know to cause a rift or whatever and like right. that i shouldn't associate myself because i'll clash constantly and cause a rift because we're fighting for the same people to watch or whatever but it is like a remarkable thing where daily sometimes hourly there could be messages going in of like hey have you guys heard this or does anyone know anything about this or has anyone got a like a number for this person or an email or blah blah, blah whatever like and it's just constant like constant giving of input time effort from everyone that's in there it's not like it's literally 14 people that want the other 13 people to succeed because it will help the other like themselves and the other 12 people or whatever to succeed that's right it's like it's crazy yeah um, and i mean that's the proof in the pudding that 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 is recognizing that's an abundance mindset and that is the literal like act of the high you know high tides rise all ships like yeah, doing yeah. it and you see it you're seeing it happen in real time yeah um savannah is like a cactus good fleshy bits but be careful he may poke you that was you missed an opportunity to call him a prick there um, <laughs> um is it is it difficult to balance the two things like we're heading for like two hours so at any point if you need to go just tell me um, no, I'm good. I'm good. is it difficult to balance the two things of you have your affiliate you have your gym you want that to succeed you want it to get to you know, I'm sure you still have those aspirations of wanting to be the best gym possible, etc. But then you have the podcast and it's getting busier. And like you were in mm -hmm. um, the metropolis that is Spartanburg at the weekend. You've been to like, you know, you had to obviously take a week off to go to Madison. You're, you know, you're constantly have these opportunities come up, but they require travel. They require time away. They require you to leave your affiliate and to not focus on that because you're away. I've seen you at those things. I've seen you at the games. I've seen you at Wadapalooza, at uh crash when it's over there's a call and savannah's going through like how, what worked what didn't work what could we do better like etc so there's like pre-production the production post-production there's like essentially like informal meetings that would be mm -hmm. formal if you're in person or whatever so it takes up a lot of time when you're away and then 
like do you ever feel like it takes away from your affiliate or that the role that your affiliate takes away from it or like is it because it's two huge monsters to to balance mm-hmm. yeah in that that doesn't necessarily involve come kind of the few other little side things that are happening too, yeah. like the fire department or um um just at a much more minor role involved with a um a bed and breakfast that's being built out here in livermore too but um the, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah, and I and I help out with a small. I have a small minority share in a um, another uh, uh, media company that helps kind of advertise products and and things like that. But to answer your question, it just takes figuring out the right system. And what I mean by that is like, yes, both of them are huge uh, undertakings. Both of them require a lot of time. But as long as I'm organized on my end, I could usually keep up with all of it. And the second piece is, is this forced me to turn my affiliate into an actual business. And what I mean by that is most people, if you own a business, but that business cannot function without you there, you own a job. You do not own a business. Hmm. And that's the major differentiator. And a lot of times with like, as affiliate owners, we romanticize about if you're the owner and you're not in there, you know, swinging all your members and coaching all your classes and doing all this stuff yourself, like you're not an affiliate owner. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll accept that, but I'd rather be a business owner. And so what that means is that I'm putting the right people in place that could succeed in their jobs and I'm um, properly you know, paying them and compensating them for those jobs and constantly giving them more and more opportunity to elevate within the space, whether that's income or whatever the case may be, in order for them to continuously be successful in the positions that I've put them in. So I have a, um, like for lack of better words, a general manager that helps me out at CFL. His name's Albert. He's an all-star. And um, he has worked his way into that position and he handles a lot of the day-to-day operations. And I meet directly with him and I still have my hand on the pulse. I still coach a handful of classes a week um, and all of that stuff. But he is basically running the operation. And my job is to continue to support and allow him to build up so he could build a staff underneath him. And then he eventually replaces even my job as like even that higher level and I get further away from it. Because what I need to do is find somebody to put them in place, pay them to buy my time back. So like a low hanging fruit one would be like, if you open an affiliate and you're, you're going to be everything, you're going to wear every single hat. You're the janitor, you know, you're the plumber, you're the electrician, you're the head coach, you're the programmer, like all of that is yours. And the second you could start to differentiate and say, okay, there's a couple of jobs here that I could pay X, Y, and Z person that if I free that time up, I could then make more in this bucket here, which will easily pay for that and give me more money. So now I've got my time back, but then also too, I've built a a higher profitability off of offloading that job to free me up to focus on higher level jobs. And if you do it correctly, you're constantly just doing that all the time now it's not easy and it takes a lot of time and it's really hard and sometimes you'll put somebody in position and you're like ah this is it and then they quit and you're like all right i go back into that position and build that back up and and do that and so i that's the main goal um with all the businesses but especially like at the affiliate level just because i've had that one for so long and i'm surrounded by really great coaches and people so just giving them opportunities to take more and more of that job and 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 roll on which then allows me to buy my time back to then go back to focus more towards the the podcast or to whatever else that needs to be done at that time. 
And you do like uh, a good bit of corporate stuff on the fire. You mentioned the fire um, service work that you do. That's like basically you go there and do like CrossFit and fitness and explain like lecture kind of on whatever health, fitness, that kind of stuff. Is that right? Yeah. So I have two fire departments that I work with. Um, Livermore Pleasanton is the local one here. They actually just show up to the gym and uh, I train them during the academy phase. So all their new recruits that come in, they show up to my gym two to three days a week prior to where they go on to the fire tower where they have all their education and what they do. And I run a hour long class uh, with them for a 22 week period as a recruit skill. Now with the Hayward fire department, I actually travel to each fire station. I do that daily. Um, and I meet with the firefighters there exactly like you said, anything that has to do with health and fitness rarely now is it running a workout because a lot of these guys are self-motivated, have their own programs and stuff like that. It mostly has to do with like, they're eating uh, rehab of little aches and pains and stuff that come up and anything that has to do more so with that. Like still, still I still show up and every now and then, depending on the, the station and the crew that's there, I might just run like a, what you would normally see inside of an affiliate. I might just run a class for them during that hour that I have with them. Or I might work with one or two guys that are having issues with their shoulder because there's some sort of tightness or some sort of deficiency that I need to go in there and like work out with them. Hmm. Um, and so those are the main main things that I do with them. So <clears throat> that's presumably fairly lucrative as coaching goals. So is that like, would that be yeah. your advice then to people who have affiliates would be to try and engage the local community in that sort of way, like to try and reach out and get other streams of income rather than relying on the brick and mortar of your actual affiliate and people come like one by one people coming in? A hundred percent. Like you're always going to be chasing lifetime value of the customer and your churn in your business. So meaning how long can you keep your members for and how many members are you gaining and losing each month? That's the constant battle in a, in a um, brick and mortar affiliate gym in an indie gym. Right. And so you have to find a way um, to differentiate outside of that. So that way you could have other streams of income that you're not constantly chasing the churn or different things like that. And so the fire department obviously is a natural fit because, you know, CrossFit was basically birthed within the first responder military community. So they understand the value of it. Um, And yeah, finding those opportunities or other, you know, businesses like what I used to do with Hormel Foods and stuff like that is huge because if you could lock down contracts, that's guaranteed money, that's not going to change and might allow you to get a little space in there. Um, so you're not having to worry about, you know, if you lose a few more members this month than you do last month, it's not like all of a sudden you go into the, into the red and you're freaking out. Right. So you have some of those other contracts that subsidize as you build, as you build up. And so I would strongly suggest that people do it. And in fact, I guess I'll announce this like publicly here, which will give me some, uh, motivation to follow through. I built a, um, a book on, uh, the programs that I do with the fire departments across all the stuff that I do. And I've had a lot of people that reached out, how do I get involved with a fire department locally here? You know, I'm a firefighter. I want to put it in my gym or I'm a gym owner and I want to bring it to do what I do, or I'm an L1 coach. And I've talked about it with Sevon and I basically said, Hey, I'm going to do a show where I tell people exactly what I do. And then I give it away completely for free. And so they could just go ahead and take all the material that I've used, all the data, all the type of stuff, even the pitch to the fire department, like everything. And they could apply it locally and try to get their own fire departments in. And so I've been kicking around doing that show for a little bit and, um, and setting it up as like an ebook that would basically be like three bucks or for free. 
and people can go ahead and uh, download that and then use that episode. Like as people reach out, I could just send them that episode and be like, here's all the information that you'll need. Once you watch this, reach out if you have any other specific questions and start to, people could use that as a platform to find more fire departments in their own area. That's cool. Yeah. I charge three dollars if it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you can charge nothing or charge three dollars, I mean, you might as well charge three dollars. Like, why? Yeah, not? no, I know, um, and I, I've actually had an offer to potentially do that on a larger scale too. Um, but I think that the best strategy for me it would be giving it away for free. Yeah, yeah, because if I could give away for free what most people would charge, um that's just going to completely elevate me in the space, which could lead to more opportunities later on by just giving first. I just remember like someone, someone said to me ages ago, always give your best stuff away for free because then people will come to you for everything else. Yeah. I remember right. someone said that like on one of the first episodes I ever did. Um, <clears throat> this is accurate. Yeah. You can, uh, you can tell that Matt loves it. He does the passion is indescribable. I agree with that. Um, on on all the different fronts. Well, I don't know about the B and B, but everything else. Um, the um the podcast then. So your aim for the affiliate is to kind of continue to buy back your time, I guess. Um, and then to branch out in these kind of things like the firefighting and uh helping those guys and maybe some corporate stuff. And then the podcast, like, are you in control of the destiny of that? Like, are you kind of, you know, like is your hand on the wheel or, or are you just kind of along for the ride and making it as good as you possibly can while it's happening? I, uh, yeah, I would say that I would say the hands on the wheel. I really okay. feel like anytime Simone and I are like processing something or deciding what to do. Um, I, yeah, it's equal. It's equal, which is, which is awesome. You know, because at the end of the day, he could say like, okay, I hear you, but fuck you, we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing as well. It like speaks to what we were saying earlier on that he could easily just be like, yeah, yeah, okay, shh, 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 you, shh, yeah. and we're going to yeah. do it this way. Shh, 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 you know, I'm, I, it's, is it the Matt Sousa podcast? <laughs> is it the real <laughs> Matt Sousa podcast? Um, yeah. So what are, what are the aspirations then for, like, have you got any concrete plans for the next, like, say, six, 12 months for the show? For the show? Like, yeah. or, or like things around it. So like re releasing the, the behind the scenes, I guess that's what that's probably end of year, start of year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got an awesome crew working on it right now and they're like, they're making some good headway and stuff. So there's still like some logistic things. Um, can't quite talk about them yet that we're still figuring out that don't have to do with that, the actual production of it. Um, More like how yeah. it's packaged kind of how it's packaged where yeah. it lives um yeah. those type of things uh so yeah so second the the second we kind of get more of our hands like wrapped around like what what we want to do there then we'll be able to to bring that out but i, I would say closer to january is a is a safe bet although okay. i will say this i i've already got to screen the first episode and you guys are going to be freaking pumped it's good and it's going to be awesome and i'm super excited to share it with everybody and um yeah, so much, so much to send in that into group chat. Just saying. Um, <laughs> what other kind of stuff then? So, uh, some coverage of Rogue, I'm assuming, some coverage of like Wadapalooza, maybe some shows around Dubai, I guess, as well. Would that be all be accurate? Yep, we'll continue the competition coverage. Um, we'll continue to to interview all the best people in the space. We'll continue to branch outside of the space. I honestly think that long term for the podcast that it will be massive outside of the CrossFit space. 
like I a Rogan type. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest too, like, as I, as like Savon and I work on this together, like, like I felt that from the beginning and I believe it now more than ever, as more and more time goes on, obviously the CrossFit space, like it is our niche. It's where, you know, we have a lot of influence there and we'll continue to, to be in that space. But I think we're one or two guests away and one or two clips away from it to breaking outside of that. I mean, because you see the way he is with people outside of the CrossFit space that we introduce to to our audience. And they'll have never heard of him before. Maybe I've seen him one or two times and bring him in. And then they're like, holy crap, I love this dude. I'm following forever. And that's kind of the effect that Savon has. Like when he brings you in and interviews with with you, like you leave as a fan of everybody, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> majority of them. And <laughs> in my in my humble opinion, most of them. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it goes completely the opposite. But yeah. um, but uh, but yeah. So I I think that once people outside of the space recognize his talent for interviewing, especially he's great with people that are almost oversaturated. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, you could bring finding a different like cracking a different vein, basically. A hundred percent. And I mean, that's just him. Like we we've had so we had Ben Meseritz on. Um, he's an author of uh, a bunch of books, and um, this was this was early in the early in the in the show, and he. Uh, what was the uh, movie that one of his books turned into like 21 or something like that, a gambling movie that was really popular. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody in the comments will remember and tell me, but we had him on and he, and he was quite doing like this book tour and had all these stuff. And he left that conversation. Literally we finished and he's like, wow. He's like, this, this is, this was probably like the best, one of the best interviews I've done. And he goes, we talked about stuff and I shared stuff with you that I had never been asked or never shared before. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not uncommon when he brings somebody in that has a lot of attention around them and him and Sevon have a conversation. So I really, really feel that like, if we want to really stretch out like long-term, like 10 years from now, where would it be? I think it definitely has the potential to, to uh, be a Rogan S type podcast. And there's no question that the talent that Savon brings to the table is, is surpasses it in my opinion, in mm. some cases. It's interesting as well because you kind of look at the beige and stuff and you're like man if he just tipped over the edge like that would, you know like little things like that of like you know getting on someone's coattails early and like you know sounding the trumpets for them that pays off like it's basically like it all just circles back to what you're saying about at the start about like giving value to people and then you get that value returned um there's rammer back now i'm just gonna end the show before we start <laughs> you get all um, um look thanks uh for coming on and for yeah. um everything you've been a great um a great friend um i appreciate you taking yeah, giving up your time and and coming on because i know you don't do a lot of these um none of them actually yeah um feel but yours and craig howard's is only two yeah well i'm a good company there um but uh, it's it's funny um you know you kind of referenced a few times there how you know, school wasn't for you and you referenced a few times how you said look a couple of times and like, you know, a few bits like that. And it's like, I don't think there's a touch of luck about it. Like it's a lot of people, a lot of people claim that they're hustlers and a lot of people claim that they work hard, but I've, it's rare that I see somebody that hustles as much as you do or works as hard as you do. Like you're endlessly, I've watched you run 
around events and like be on the phone immediately afterwards i i know that it's not easy for you to line up as many guests as you can because it's like literally fucking incessant like day after day guests i know that's not easy to do because i do it like once a week and i struggle sometimes um i think it's remarkable like that you got him back doing it and i think it's remarkable the success that you've had i don't think it's a surprise i don't think the success is a surprise but i think it is remarkable and like commendable what you've done it's it's great um but yeah thank you that was fantastic no thank you hey these two hours the two hours with you did like flew by yeah i'm gonna wait just one more second now it's two hours there we go okay there it is i just just wanted i just wanted to tip (laughs) over into that just 